spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Text us. It's the text line at 210-9676. Put a 937 in front of that. 937-210-9676. Thoughts on any conversation we're having throughout the next three hours. Jump and take advantage of that. But let's kick off the show with the Justin Kinner Show. Top headlines. It's the Justin Kinner Show's top headlines. All right, let's hit the ground running. How about this, Kev? Netflix is going to produce a six-part series on Colin Kaepernick. Now, um, when I first initially heard this, I was like, okay, a six-part docuseries on Colin Kaepernick. It's strictly going to be just about, you know, from the time he decided he was going to kneel and it's just going to follow that storyline. Um, I'm not saying I wasn't interested in it, but I feel like because we're so caught up in everything going on that I feel like I'm not interested in the docuseries because we're we're seeing it and following it day to day. What I really like about this is is the series is going to be called Colin in Black and White. It'll explore the quarterback's high school years. Mm-hmm. It's going to explore um, the you know his high school years and his journey in life, attempting to show the experiences and insights that led to his activism. Because so many people keep saying, "Well, his parents are white," and they keep. <laughs> Making all these stuff as if like, well, what's wrong? Why is he so angry? His parents are wacky and stupid stuff like that. So this is gonna. I, I'm really interested in this as far as that's concerned. Um, just kind of more of the background info because people they they like to go to Wikipedia and find out who his parents are or who his friends were growing up, what high school he went to, and then try to label them based on that. There's more to him than just that. It's not like he just woke up one day and didn't felt a little tired and you know and kneel during the national anthem. There's more to it. I think this series is going to be interesting. Yeah, I think it's going to show a gradual growth in the direction to be a part of activism. It's not something that you just wake up on a Tuesday and say, you know what, I'm going to be out here protesting. I'm going to be a man of the people. It's a gradual situation. It's a learning curve to a lot of things. And I think that this docuseries is going to present that. And also, it's going to be uh, directed and produced by Ava DuVernay. She's been a part of that great Netflix series. When they see us, uh, part of uh, the movie Selma, A Wrinkle in Time, so many great movies she's been a part of. So anything ever DuVernay is behind, I'm always going to check out. And Colin Kaepernick, I'm with him 100%. Yeah, Kaepernick uh, will appear as a narrator uh, with an actor playing him as a youth in the scripted drama um, of a black child adopted by a white family. So is so it's not a, a lie. It's not a docuseries. Okay. Not a I thought it was a docuseries. Okay. No, this is like, Netflix to produce six part series on Colin Kaepernick. I thought it was supposed to be what I initially understood and just hearing people talk about on the radio today was that it was a docuseries. But it's saying Kaepernick will appear as a narrator, but an actor will be playing him as a youth in the scripted drama of a black child adopted by a white family. So, okay, that makes sense. Either way, still interested in this regardless. I mean, it's just going to be a way to kind of take you behind the curtain a little bit. Um, to the early years of Colin Kaepernick. Interesting, nonetheless. Uh, we opened up talking about Major League Baseball and, uh, and COVID-19 and the impact as far as that's concerned. How about this, Kev? The Dayton Flyers football program has announced that they have canceled their Week 1 matchup against Southeast Missouri State due to COVID-19. Now, I was like, when I read this, I'm like, oh, man, is that... 
Are we a month away from that? No, the first game, Kev, is not until September 3rd. And it's June mm-hmm. 29th. I don't get this. Um, I'm sure there's more behind the scenes as to what led to this. So I'm not going to mock it or anything because I'm not going to mock anything as far as this. But what I don't like is, well, we're going to cancel it because on September 3rd, it's going to be too dangerous to play football. But seven days later, I think we'll be in the clear. I think we can move forward and play. I don't get it. I'm not a, I, I, again, I'm not going to say I don't like it. I just don't get it. This is where I was at with the, the Hall of Fame game with the NFL last week. It's the Hall of Fame game. I'm not going to lose sleep over it, but the principle of it is, hey, we, you know, it's not safe enough to play the Hall of Fame game, but you're going to play a preseason game seven days later. Did the league, did the world, did COVID-19 all of a sudden become safer seven days later? Right. For the Dayton Flyers football program, they cancel it on September 3rd. That's fine, but this is why I'm not confident about the rest of the season because you, now you're trying to convince me that all of a sudden, seven days later, it became safer. Uh, but I respect Coach Chamberlain and, and the job he does there. And again, he has a tough task at, you know, right now trying to make every decision he makes. You know, you pull the plug on the season, you're going to piss a lot of people off. Right. If you keep playing during it and, and kids start getting sick, they're going to point the finger and blame you, even though, you know, so he's in a, it's a, it's a lose-lose situation. I respect the job he's done and I, and I trust the decisions he's going to make moving forward. So I'm not ripping him for this. I'm just saying I, this, I would be questioning any team out there calling it quits or canceling something mainly because you're going to play seven days later. And I, I don't see how the league became safe or how college football became safer in seven days after that. That's all. I kind of felt the same way about when college baseball canceled every sport in the spring semester. I kind of thought that they should have put it just on pause and see where things were. And if they needed to cancel, they went ahead and canceled later on. It just seemed like as soon as March Madness got canceled, everything else got canceled related to college sports. Um, As for UD and the football team, I do think there has to be more. I'm sure it's uh, something going on with the other universities that they're playing. Maybe their numbers are spiking just like they're spiking here. And I get it. Seven days later, are things going to be that much different? We don't know. And that's the crazy thing about this whole situation. We don't know. We have Governor DeWine on right now, press conference right now, giving us updates. And one of the things he's saying is we just don't know. <laughs> that's, 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 that's the whole thing about this whole COVID-19. You can make plans on Monday and things can change by Tuesday because we just don't know. Yeah, well, don't close anything, DeWine. <laughs> don't do it. People just wear a mask and stop being a pain in the ass. I think we can all get through this. Don't oh, close it, DeWine. Oh, that mask thing is real, man. I saw a mask incident You're not going to put weekend. a muzzle on me like I'm a dog. You see that on Facebook? Yes. I'm yes. not a dog. You're not going to put a muzzle on me. Woof, woof. He must be a Browns fan. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but regardless, you know, I'm pulling for a season one way or another. And, for sure. You know, week one matchup, September 3rd. We'll see. Going to keep an eye on that as far as that's concerned. Uh, Amani Bates, uh, next story up. It's the Justin Kinder Show Top Headlines. Amani Bates, a 2020 top recruit, commits to Michigan State. Why is this a big deal? I became really intrigued when you look every year, there's the number one player in the country, and every info, whether it's basketball, whether it's football, baseball, softball, volleyball, whatever it is, okay? And you, you read reports on these recruits, and they always sound the same. The most explosive player in this upcoming you know, in this upcoming um, class or whatever. But this is what caught my attention, Kev. A generational prospect. 
He's considered the best high school school prospect in more than a decade. These types of labels, these types of descriptions really catch my attention. I don't know much about this kid other than following just kind of the, you know, on Twitter and just his recruiting journey and stuff. And it sounds like for him being a generational prospect and being the best high school prospect in over a decade, he's not a lot of teams were aggressive in pursuing him. And by the way, it's 2020 and he's committing two years out. That's the that, that's why you jump on these kids. Not saying middle school, but you jump on them early when you when you notice that there's something there. He he showed respect to Michigan State because they were one of the first teams, if not the first team, that jumped on his recruiting trail. But it, they were saying that not a lot of teams jumped on it right away. So it's interesting. Tom Izzo has an eye for that stuff. Pretty good. Um, not to say that I'm an inside guy, but I do insider have, <laughs> inside <laughs> Kev Nash. I do inside. have a little bit of insight to this process with Imani Bates. You know. Uh, no, I don't know him. I, not a, not at all. But Give a beer with him. <laughs> de- definitely not. He's 16. <laughs> but uh, people knew this where he was going. Like it wasn't up for like a debate. There wasn't going to be a Duke swooping in, taking him. North Carolina taking him. You know, wasn't going to be any of that. It was basically Michigan, Michigan State. He's, for lack of a better word, he's a mama's boy. He's uh, very close with his father and everything like that. And the reason he's so sought after is because he's skillful. He's very skillful. It isn't just like, oh, man, he's so much faster than everybody. He has this athleticism that's blowing people away. He's skillful. It's, I hate to put labels on people and it's like, oh, he's the next so-and-so, but... The way he plays basketball reminds people of Kevin Durant. I mean, he's already 6'9". Jay is crazy. He's skinny as all get out. Looks looks like Kevin Durant when he plays basketball. And that's So reports are he's interested. Any team that wins the championship <laughs> this year, he's interested in joining them next season. Right? But I will say this about him. Like you said, it's 2021. Things can change with the NBA. Like, I wouldn't guarantee that he's going to Michigan State. Yeah, because they're talking about, oh, well, when's that one in Denver? I thought that was up in 2021. It's coming up soon. Or is it that year? It might be that season. It's that season. It's that season. So it's him. It's another kid, uh, Dior Johnson. Like, they're all, like, these big-time guys for the class of 2021. But they're, they're committed to schools. Yeah, but soon as if the NBA opens it up to straight out of high school again, you know they're not going to college. Like, it's, it's not happening. I mean, so many guys are going straight to the G League now anyway. But college is, I think college is still a, you know what I'm saying, a better avenue for a lot of these guys to really get their talents and be coached up well. But once that NBA one and done rule goes away, these guys are not going to college. And I'm fine with that. I, I, it, I don't think you notice. Like, it's easy for us to look back and say, oh, man, can you imagine if uh, we got two years of this guy, two years of that guy? If you don't see it, it's not like college basketball was not impacted by LeBron James not playing college basketball. Because it's... It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash. Back to the famous WING studios. Here's Justin Kinner and Kev Nash. Series champion Washington Nationals. They are slated to host the New York Yankees when baseball returns. 
Sources confirmed that DSPN on uh, Saturday afternoon. The matchup between last year's champion and this year's co-favorite is set to take place on opening day at Nationals Park. Although Major League Baseball is, they've yet to finalize an official schedule. This is one that has been leaked to start generating buzz and excitement. So the reigning defending World Series champions, the Washington Nationals, will host. Interesting. How about this? Cam Newton signs with the New England Patriots. There was a stretch for a while where we were all talking about, hey, uh, I, I painted this dream scenario um, back when free agency started. I said, here's what's going to happen. Or It really wasn't when free agency started. It was when Tom Brady went to the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers... Um, you know, their their home site will be the host of the upcoming Super Bowl. Tom Brady and the, and the Buccaneers looking to become the first team to actually host a Super Bowl, to actually, not you know, not their home field hosted, but to be the team that plays in that year's Super Bowl and gets to play on their home field. That would be something. I think it's going to happen. I think it can happen. I think it's going to happen. I predicted that the Patriots, this was months ago, I'm not taking credit for this situation because this situation doesn't make sense, but I predicted that the Patriots would get Cam Newton and that Cam Newton and Bill Belichick would make a run to the Super Bowl uh, because I thought that the Patriots would go get weapons this offseason, which they didn't. Mm -hmm. Cam Newton, Bill Belichick at Tampa in the Super Bowl. The storyline is the most amazing storyline that could potentially play out. And I and I that's how I saw it going down. So now, months later, the puzzle pieces are kind of put together. The problem is, is that Cam Newton to the Patriots still doesn't make any sense. People are more concerned about the incentive-laden contract that Cam Newton signed. That basically is a joke compared to what some of the other embarrassing backups in the league are making. But people need to Chase stop. Daniel. Yeah, and, and that's great. We can list all the quarterbacks that are probably overpaid as far as that's concerned. But Cam Newton, at the same time, there's so many question marks. He hasn't been healthy for, what, back-to-back seasons now. Still, there's a lot of question marks as far as that shoulder is concerned. And, you know, and the thing is, too, he didn't want to be a backup. There were teams that were interested. He did not want to go be a backup. He did not. Now, because he's been humbled and because he takes a look at the landscape, I think because he didn't want to be a backup, which, by the way, Kev, I don't mind that. Mm -hmm. He could have gone to the Chargers and started easily, um, but the Chargers decided they wanted to go the route of not getting a rental quarterback for a couple years. They wanted to get a guy that they could, in Justin Herbert, that they view could be the guy moving forward. The Patriots, I thought, were in that same boat with Stidham because they committed to Stidham. I thought for sure they'd get an Andy Dalton, they'd get a Cam Newton, they'd get somebody. But the thing is, Tom Brady is not a bum quarterback. He wasn't a bum quarterback last year. I think you and I disagree on this. Shocker. <laughs> Cam, uh, Tom Brady, I believe last year, taking that team to the playoffs was a miracle in itself because it's not a good roster. It's just not a good roster. He doesn't have any elite weapons, not that he ever has, but he's always had at least more than what he's had the last couple, you know, more than what he had last year. So Tom Brady's going to go to Tampa. He's going to have an uh, extremely good season because he has weapons around him. Cam Newton, let's say he beats out Stidham for that starting job. Now what? You have less talent with New England than what you had with Carolina. And then when he when he fails, or if he fails, and it depends on what your definition of success is for Cam Newton with the New England Patriots, if and when he fails, I'm not 100% sure it's all on Cam Newton. And the reason is, is if Tom Brady goes to Tampa and has a tremendous season and Cam Newton struggles with the Patriots because he has the same exact weapons that Tom Brady had last year, I think now you can point at it and say, oh, Tom Brady wasn't an old you know, deteriorating quarterback in 2019. It really was because he just had no talent around him. We're going to learn what, ex what exactly that was as far as that's concerned. So people are saying, oh, Cam Newton got the raw end of the deal here. Actually, I think the Patriots got the raw end of the deal here. The Patriots did not try to form a roster to compete. 
They did not put a roster together to get better from last year. You got knocked out of the playoffs because you had a dull, dry, boring, no move, you know, offense that doesn't move up and down the field. Your defense was suspect at best. It was just not a great year for the New England Patriots. Kev, what made what change did they make this year? Oh yeah, they lost Tom Brady. Well, they still had. They, the they traded their player. first round pick last year. They had the defensive player of the year. Okay. Also, they had one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. I won't say they were lack for talent. I think it was lack, lack for it was like deep talent. <laughs> they had no talent. Would you? You think the Julian Edelman their best player? That you think the Bengals? You think the Bengals would want that offensive line? That the New England Patriots had, yeah, but actually no, I know I'm not convinced that the Bengals would. Want <laughs> okay, Browns, my no, bad. I'm cons- I, I, no, the Browns' <laughs> offensive line is fine. The the the, the Bengals, I, I don't think they want a good offensive line. You know, I saw an article today. I saw. I, I just no, teed you up you know, for that. You did. That's my fault. Yeah. That's my fault, <laughs> Bengals quick, fans. I saw. This is how embarrassing Bengals fans are in Bengals media, and I and I respect a lot of the Bengals media. Just I like to poke fun at some of their headlines because they found a way to coddle how bad this organization is. James Rapine, I love him to death. He put out an article in Sports Illustrated today that said, Joe Burrow is going to make this offensive line better. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What In what world is it the quarterback's job to make the offensive line better? Now, to be fair, I know what he's talking about. It's, you know, uh, you know, if you're able to avoid some pressure from here and there, the sack numbers will drop and blah, blah, blah. I get what he's trying to say, but it's just the point, the mindset, the fans. Yeah, Joe Burrow is going to make the O-line better. What? No. The job is of the quarterback is not to make the O-line better. The job of the O-line is to make the quarterback better. But in the Bengals' world, hey, Joe Burrow, you have a tough you have a tough job this year. I don't want you worrying about throwing touchdowns. I don't want you to worry about throwing for a lot of yards. Just make sure that you make the offensive line better. So there you go. As you were saying. <laughs> you just totally threw me off. Uh, me no. No, what I'm saying is I don't think that the Patriots are were as bad as people make it out to be last year with their players. Like like I said, they had one of the best offensive lines in the league. They had the def- defensive player of the league on their on their defense. The defense was kind of like middle of the pack, but they still were a solid defense, enough to win 12 games. Like I, I just think the whole thing about Thanks, Tom, Tom Brady. Brady being left without any weapons is like he's out there playing by himself, like is trying to paint the LeBron James Cavaliers narrative. Like oh, he's playing with nobody. He's got nothing out there. Look at these bums. Like, come on, man. That's not the case. That was bums. The case. That was not the case. That is exactly the case. What, what position do they have that's the best in the league outside of Tom Brady? And he wasn't even the best in the league last year. I'm just saying. Like, there's and, not one, one. and one could argue to say they've won Super Bowls with those same type of rosters. No. Huh? No. No. Name the starting receivers on the uh, on the team that they won their first Super Bowl with. Uh. 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 Yeah. Hey, Google. <laughs> hey Google. And when and when he had one of the best receivers of all time in Randy Moss, they didn't win the Super Bowl. They went sixteen to zero in the regular season. Yeah, for set, sure. You know, but uh, I tell you what, four five seven nine four six. We're jumping on the conversation yeah, yeah. with us, uh, Justin Kinner, Kev Nash, with you here. The the, the New England Patriots uh, again with Cam Newton. This hurts the Patriots because for one, put it this way: let's say Cam Newton does come in and have success. He's going to ask for a lot of money which he has that right to do, and I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. I say that in a mocking tone because the Patriots aren't going to give him the money he's going to ask for. So the court, the the team and the Patriots that's coming in here in a situation where I thought, and many else thought too, especially if you know, watch ESPN, Fox, Sports, whatever, the Patriots were positioning themselves to not go in full on tank mode, but they weren't trying to win. They weren't trying to win their way out of the Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Put it that way. Um, that's why they were going all in with with Stidham. And people are like, no, they're just really confident in Stidham. Then why just sign Cam Newton? That's all I got to say because you're not signing in Cam Newton to be a 16 game backup. 
Like you're signing, you're bringing in Cam Newton because at some point you know he's going to take over, and that's the reason that Cam Newton didn't get a lot of other jobs in the NFL because there's a lot of coaches who are still trying to figure out if they have their guy. The Rams, Jared Goff, you know, there's a lot of talk of they should bring in Cam Newton, but they still feel like he's their guy. You know, even if they believe Cam Newton is better right now, they still feel like Jared Goff is in the process of getting better to where it would justify still trying to wait it out. I have no issue with that. The New England Patriots. We're not going all in. You don't you, you don't look at the issues they had last year and then trade your first round draft pick. You don't look at the issues that they had last year and not sign one elite, you know, offensive weapon as far as that's concerned. You don't try to inc- improve the defense. You don't do any that to me screams that they had no intentions of trying to win this year. So now you're going to bring in Cam Newton. He might be good enough to win you two to three more games than what you were expected to win, which is in that five to seven range. So if you get to ten wins, that's great. You're not winning a Super Bowl with Cam Newton, and that's not all going to be on him because I just don't think this roster is that good. So you're not going to win a Super Bowl. So you're going to be a ten-win team, improved because of Cam Newton. He's going to show that he's good enough to get Max Dollar. You're not going to pay him because you know they just don't pay that type of money to their quarterback, as Tom Brady. Cam Newton's going to leave, then they're going to be stuck with Stidham, and they're going to win two games less the next year, and you won your way out of the Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. So when people say that Cam Newton, uh, he got the raw end of this deal, no, he got the best end of this deal, because he's going to go to New England and be put in position to win some games. He's going to be set up to make some serious money next offseason, and the New England Patriots are going to win their way out of the top quarterbacks in the draft next year, and now you're really stuck with Stidham. I think Cam Newton got the better end of this deal, because for one, you don't sign with them. The market was weak out there, and there wasn't a lot of opportunities. Jameis Winston, people keep bringing him up. How is he, you know, he accepted the $1 million mm-hmm. deal. Jameis Winston came out and said, I purposely accepted a third-string job, basically, and a $1 million a year contract offer with the, with the Saints because he wanted to go learn from the quarterback factory, being the New Orleans Saints, and to learn from their head coach and to learn from Drew Brees. So we... I, I get the frustration with everything, but no, I'm not going to – I don't buy into that one either as far as that's concerned as Jameis Winston is concerned. So I like Cam Newton. think he's going to do well in New England, but I just – I don't get it. If you're New England, you're signing him because you think you're on to some big things, but you didn't put any pieces around him, and I guess that's one way to treat him like Tom Brady. I guess this, for me, I think they tried that whole let's go get a big-name player, like when they tried to go get Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon had issues yet again. They went and got Antonio Brown. One of Did the best he, though, real quick? He didn't have issues. He had issues based on the rules at the time. Now those rules are gone. Right. Bring his ass back and stop. We need to. I got tired of that rule. I get it. The weed thing, you know, I know people's opinions on that vary, but my goodness. I mean, we painted him to be out just this horrible human being because he does what probably 90% of people do. Well, aren't you so, the same guy that talks about the rules that people have to play by, like the whole thing? But with, we don't – no, I agree with you. Don't you ever, <laughs> ever I'm use my stuff against me. I'm ever. just saying. I Chase, see what you did there. Well done. Well Chase played. is looking at you like you don't shrug. Oh, forget Chase Young. Just saying. Forget Chase Young. <laughs> He's so I think what I, what I think is the New England Patriots is like, all right, we didn't try the Josh Gordon thing, get burned us. It, we tried the Antonio Brown thing, get burned us. You know what? We're going back to the way we used to do things. We're going to build through the draft instead of trying to get these high-priced, big-name players. We're going to go back to the Patriot way, and we're going to build our t- team through the draft instead of dabbling with free agents and stuff like that. That's what I think. Well, either way, the Patriots, this move makes zero sense to me. Uh, I li- I. I was on board at the beginning of free agency. Patriots, go get Cam Newton. 
then get him some weapons around him, but go get you know go get Cam Newton. I would love to see Cam Newton in New England. Now he's there, but the problem is is he's there with the same players that Tom Brady had last year, and I'm not convinced um, that Tom Brady was the problem last year. And Tom Brady's going to prove this year that, hey, when you actually put players around me, I know I'm a little older, but I could still play the game at a high level. That's on the Patriots. You can't sit there and say, we want to win, we want to win, but you do nothing but take players away. And I'm not saying that in they got away with it for Tom Brady's career. Did but, they take players away, or did the players take themselves away? Well, I mean, Josh Gordon, Josh Gordon was a little and, high, and, and, and then and the other Antonio was, Brown, like the they, the team gave them some too high profile players when they started going outside of the Patriot way. Josh Gordon, Antonio Brown, those aren't part of the the Patriot way. Correct. Remember, I told you they started looking desperate. The Correct. Patriots began looking desperate because they used to be very in control of, oh, we're going to bring him in, and he's one, you know, that's the type of guy, that's the model that we. They went away from that. They went to a distraction in Josh Gordon. They went to a distraction in Antonio Brown in desperation of trying to put weapons around Tom Brady. Um, but the fact is, Tom Brady's gone. Yes. You, still, you, didn't, you traded away your first round pick. Uh, you didn't add weapons. So I guess my point is, is I wish they wouldn't have signed Cam Newton now. If you were going to sign him, you should have signed him earlier in the offseason, earlier in free agency, and put weapons around him. Now you're getting him now, and there's not... I could date that. that. So I guess that's where I should have reshaped all this. I'm not mad at Cam Newton or the Patriots. I'm mad, or, I'm mad at the Patriots for getting him now. You should have got him earlier, and you could have changed the direction of your offseason. That's what I'm annoyed with. So I didn't see too much of ESPN today, so I, I don't know like too much of the backstory. I haven't read any of the articles. But was he able to fly in to get a physical done on the shoulder? Do not know that. Okay. I do not know that. Because that's that's my only question about Cam. Like we know everything we need to know about Cam. Uh strong leader, strong arm, uh just a monster when it comes into the running game, but we want to look at that shoulder. So I wanna know if he was able to get up to Boston since quarantine well not quarantine since everything with coronavirus and stuff like that has dissipated. Was he able to get up there and they were able to check out the shoulder and say, All right, it's good enough for us, let's sign him. That's what I would want to know. That's going to be the interesting key. But if you want to jump in on the conversation regarding the Patriots and Cam Newton, who won this deal? Who was this a better deal for? I think it was a better deal for Cam Newton than it was the Patriots. I don't think Cam Newton's going to come in here and win a Super Bowl. And I don't think Cam Newton's going to come in here and be a Patriot long term. Cam Newton's going to come in here. He's going to play really well, as well as you can, uh, win 8 to 10 games. He's going to be in line for a big money offer next offseason. The Patriots won't give it to him. So then he's going to go elsewhere and get paid because of the way he plays in New England. And then the Patriots are stuck with Stidham. They're an 8-9, to 10-win team. They're going to be in the middle of the draft. You're out of the Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. And the Patriots are in bad shape. Not bad shape, but they've got the work cut out for them. Put it this way. They should have stuck with Stidham at this point of the offseason. Stuck with Stidham. Win your five to seven games, you would have been closer to being in the Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes because I do believe you get one of those two if you're picking between five and eight mm-hmm. because so many teams in the NFL have their quarterback. Right. And Trevor Lawrence most likely will be the number one guy that pe- that teams go after. Justin Fields might drop a little bit like Dwayne Haskins did because there's going to be teams picking at the top that don't desperately need a quarterback. The Patriots could have taken advantage of that. They might have played their way out of that conversation. That's my concern. I think Cam Newton got the better deal here. I know people are focused Focusing on the the little money, the incentive laden deal that he got, but he can make up to seven mil this season if he lives up to that hype. But if his shoulders banged up and he doesn't, then it's back to square one with what we were talking about. His health, his health is the other reason why right. he's also not on a roster. Let's go to the phone, Steve. Steve, what's up, man? How are you? Hey guys, I agree with both of you on a couple of different points. Justin, I don't think he's going to do 
that well in the wings. I think the wings are going to win nine games. They're not going to make the playoffs. Buffalo's going to win the division. Miami's going to be second, and the Patriots are going to be third. With Cam- Wait, who, who'd you say second? Is this Josh? Are you? Is this Josh Gordon? Are you high? Do you think the Dolphins are going to be second? I actually think they're going to finish second in the division ahead of New England. New England's going to be third. Yeah, I like Tua, and I'm hoping that's what happens with Tua, to be honest with you. But we'll see. But I mean, Cam, number one, the health thing is, is there's a reason he's been out there so long. It's not he can't play the game. It's they don't know if he's healthy enough to play the game. You know, and Brady did it for so many years. A sub substandard talent. I mean, he's, who's he going to throw the ball to? Oh, you, oh, yeah. I'm I mean, look, you got... No one can come up with an answer. He's going to throw the ball to nobody. Wayne, I don't care if it's Cam Newton or Sidham or whatever. But that was, that was Tom Brady's problem last year. Dan? You know, well, with the Patriots. Brady, I don't think it was Tom Brady. Brady. I think it was the Patriots. Well, Brady is not as athletic as Cam Newton. We all know that. But there's very few yes, people that are as intelligent as him as... Knowing where to throw the ball in is like fourth read, you know what I mean? Yeah, look, and, look, you're going to have Mohamed Sanu, you're going to have Julian Edelman, you're going to have guys like that. You know, is that better than what he had in Carolina? That's going to be the question. Well, we'll see, but you heard it here first. The Dolphins are going to be second in the division, and uh, they're going to make the playoffs even. So, uh, Wow, that high. Bills and Dolphins, who would have thought in 2020? We're talking about those two teams out of the Patriots, possibly. Well, they might not play, so yeah, <laughs> we'll there's, see what happens. Uh, keep that talk out of this, man. Keep that talk out. But Steve, thanks for the call, man. Appreciate it. Take care. All right, four five seven nine four six four. Justin Kinner, Kev Nash, with you here uh, on fourteen ten ESPN Radio. Uh, but yeah, the New England Patriots, as far as this is concerned, I, I think that they've put themselves in a bad spot. Getting Cam Newton makes no sense. I don't know what the end game is here, unless the Patriots are in a position where they're willing to open up their wallet to pay him some serious coin if he plays well this year. I don't think that this makes sense for the Patriots, to be honest with you. Uh, but, again, you can call in at 457-9464, or you can take advantage of the ESPN Dayton fan hotfics. Uh, you can text in your thoughts there. Kev, let it go. We're good, man. We're good. I mean, you look like a, it's like a circus where you're juggling. Yeah, it's jumping. It? Phone lines are jumping today. If I hung up on you by mistake, call back. <laughs> yeah, call back. 457-9464. For your thoughts on Tom, uh, Cam Newton to the Patriots. We'll be back in a moment. Kidder Show on 1410 ESPN Radio and on the stream at wingam.com. All right, you can add another Major League Baseball player who will not be uh, playing in 2020. Nationals Ryan Zimmerman and Joe Ross will opt out of the 2020 Major League Baseball season 2.0 summer camp on July 1st. So in the next couple days, you're going to hear a lot of players who opt out of participating. And uh, we're going to hear from... Uh, Bobby Nightingale with the Cincinnati Inquirer covers the Cincinnati Reds. He's going to come on with us coming up at 4.30. Excited to talk with him. Should we expect to hear any Cincinnati Reds players opt out of the 2020 season? Uh, we'll find out from him what he's hearing uh, as far as that's concerned. Also, the summer camp rosters. Uh, the Reds released their summer camp roster as, a, as they see fits right now. Of course, players could still opt out. Um, but that's an interesting roster as well. And Dick Williams' comments about his direction or what he's thinking as far as putting together um, their you know their team off to the side that they're going to be able to pluck players from in case of injuries and stuff. We're going to talk about all of that coming up at 4.30 with Bobby Nightingale with the Cincinnati 
inquire. Um, all right, so we're talking Cam Newton to the Patriots, and uh, everyone's saying that oh, Cam Newton he got robbed. He's he, you know that that deal is pathetic. I saw Richard Sherman was super upset about it, and and all day I heard Keith Byers on his show earlier today upset about the deal. And and although I do definitely understand, I think that not every situation is the same. Um, I think the fact that he is getting paid as little as he is has a lot to do with the fact that you signed a contract on June 29th. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that doesn't help. It doesn't help that uh, Cam Newton was a a free agent quarterback mainly because the the Panthers screwed him over and released him so late. It's not all on him either. Remember, the Panthers released him after every other quarterback signed with the team. Um, I think Andy Dalton was the last of the bigger-name quarterbacks that signed with the team while Cam Newton was a free agent. The Dallas Cowboys, of course, made that happen. So um, it's going to be interesting as far as that's concerned. But we, you know, I don't have an issue with the money he got paid because of how late in the offseason it is. Had he been the first quarterback off the board taken in the offseason, as far as you know, that's concerned free agency, I would agree with it. Who knows? Plus the health question marks as far as that's concerned. But who got the better of the deal, the Patriots or Cam Newton? Let's go to JV and Trotwood. JV, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, what's going on, fellas? How y'all doing? Good. So I think uh, I think they both got good deals on each end. Um, the reason why I think uh, I mean he got signed very late, um, but you know we know how the Patriots are in Bill Belichick, and he does his due diligence. I do truly believe they was taking time and having his shoulder examined uh, from uh, personal doctors because I remember saying that one point, uh, hearing at one point that. Um, players were able to go to an actual doctor instead of two facilities to have their physicals done. Uh, I think that played a part in uh, him being signed so late. Um, I think it's a good deal for Cam because uh, he gets a chance to get back out there and show that his shoulder uh, is good and that he's still a good player. Uh, he only signed a one-year deal. Uh, that's Bill Belichick doing uh, his job as head coach and GM to see are you going to be good for this next year? Uh, and if they, he turns out that he's still good, you still got another four or five years of a good Cam Newton. Do you, and, and I agree with you on that, JV, but do you believe if he is that good Cam Newton, and I believe that if healthy, and that's going to be key to all this, if healthy enough, I believe he's still that same elite you know, Cam Newton. But will the Patriots, Cam Newton's going to demand a high dollar, which he has every right to do so. That's where I disagree with you as far as that. I don't see the Patriots paying him uh, you know, going, giving him that max dollar. They've never done that. They were never aggressive in trying to make Tom Brady do that. So that, that's where I'm concerned as far as that goes. That's why I thought that Cam Newton got the better of the deal. He's going to go to a stable franchise, put up good numbers, and put himself in position to get paid next year for a different team. But do you think that the Patriots would do that? Uh, I mean, well, the cap is going to go up. So, Fair. I mean, Cam, I believe that Cam Newton will sacrifice 10 or $15 million for a Super Bowl. But I understand Bill Belichick still got to control of that defense. That defense is going to win you at least 10 games. Before Cam Newton got hurt last time, his last two injuries, his numbers were outstanding. He was not just turning the ball over. He was not playing crazy or ridiculous. His numbers were very great. So Cam Newton already has a taste of what it's like to go to the Super Bowl. So are you? is he willing to get, leave $10 million on the table to win a Super Bowl? Yeah, he's been paid. He's been paid pretty nicely already. So... For twenty nine million, would would Cam Newton do it? I think it's a possibility to win a Super Bowl. Cam Newton's not going to get out there. He's not going to be turn, turning the ball over. That's the least that you want out of your quarterback. You still, they, 
obviously they still have questions about Jared Stidham. They thought he was the guy. They would have not signed Cam Newton, period, point blank. If they thought he was the man, he would be out there uh, getting ready to go uh, full steam ahead. I think Cam Newton will, will be willing to sacrifice a couple of million for a Super Bowl. He's been there. He's tasted it. He knows what it's like to be on that big stage. Now he just want to win one, especially at this point in his career. Because, I mean, him being injury prone, he don't know how many more times he's going to have a crack at even getting back into the playoffs or even signing with a team because it was yeah. looking bad until the Patriots signed him. With the cap going up $29 million for a player like Cam Newton a year, that's great. Now you got players like Patrick Mahomes that's going to be getting $40, $45 million. Dak Prescott that's looking for $40, $45 million. Russell Wilson's contract is going to be coming up again. Lamar Jackson, you, those players, when they're going to be getting paid $40-plus million, I think Cam, I, I think it was a good deal for both of them. As long as Cam Newton stay healthy, the Patriots can get a good four or five years out of Cam Newton. Yeah, and, that's, and let me ask you this: and, and the you know the thing is, I think they can get a couple good years out of Cam Newton. But like I said, if even if he's average, if he looks average, we're not going to label that as average. We're going to label that as oh, he's not the old Cam Newton. Uh, and, and that's why I don't see the I, I do. Over under. Oh, we got over under. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't do it. I'm gonna leave yeah, that alone. Yeah, yeah. Don't touch that. I don't touch do that. that. And on accident, I always end up overlapping <laughs> one of your over unders. Um, for me, I think Cam got the best end of the deal for one reason and one reason only. He wasn't in the NFL. He wasn't on a team. He has an opportunity now. And yeah, it's a incentive lace contract. But you know what? Cam Newton's a hell of a quarterback, hell of a football player. He gambled on himself. How many times have we seen other players gamble on themselves and come out victors? I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against Cam Newton. Yeah. Especially I, I would only say the the situation he's falling into is like this is a totally new situation. All he's known is the Carolina Panthers for nine seasons. Basically, the entire offense basically being built around him. This is something different for him. This is going to be an adjustment period. But I believe Cam Newton is a smart NFL player, and he's going to go out there and perform. And for me, the pressure is now on the Buffalo Bills. Because at first, everybody was thinking, like, all right, it's Buffalo's time to win the AFC East again. And, all right, the Patriots are going to take a step back. You got to be like, "Uh uh-oh, at least a little bit. You got to be hoping, like, all right, man, hopefully his shoulder is still busted. Hopefully he's not Superman Cam. Maybe he's just Cam that was banged up because that that's what's going, that's, we're going to find that out one way or other. Yeah, keep in mind uh, the Bills uh, keep getting messages saying, why, why, you know, we're giving way too much love to the Bills. You forget they added Stephon Diggs. Yes, sir. Um, I, I like the progression of, of Josh Allen. Um, you know, and they made the playoffs the last year. They made the playoffs. That's, I'm I'm not sold on Josh Allen. I like the way he's progressed and gotten better. But he's one of those where you look at he's a prime example of a quarterback that could play the position. He can be on a winning team. He can win you games. But after this year, they might find themselves in a situation like the Bears, where it's like, you know, he's good. We could win with him. But man, we can still get that next level guy. That's where 
You don't be surprised if Cam Newton's a Buffalo Bill next <laughs> offseason. You never know. Imagine putting a healthy Cam Newton with the Stephon Diggs in, in the near future, what that can do um, as far as that's concerned. But, yeah, you also have Cole Beasley, who should never be your number one wide receiver. But if he's your number two wide receiver, that's pretty good as far as that's concerned. Uh, John Brown, Stephon Diggs, Devin Singletary, um, you know, and they have a pretty good offensive line. Uh, Dawson Knox, their tight end. They're, the Bills are pretty good, and of yes. course, that's before we even talked about the defense. All right, hour one in the books. That first hour flew by. I hope everyone had a great weekend and a good start to your Monday. Two more hours of the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash, and we head into hour two when we come back. Kenner, Kev Nash with you here on 1410 ESPN Radio. Kev was announced uh, last week that Avery Bradley would be opting out of the season for the Los Angeles Lakers, and we all know that the, the best player in the history of the National Basketball Association, his team is uh, right now one of the favorites to win an NBA championship once the 2019-2020 season resumes, you know, uh, at the end of freaking July. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, so they had a roster spot opened up, and uh, I don't think that this is as shocking to many, but the Lakers right now are looking, unless I've missed the finalization of this story, uh, Lakers and uh, J.R. Smith finalizing a deal for him to replace Avery Bradley and uh, be able to add another scorer or defender or whatever his role is going to be in 2020 or 2019-2020. Uh, interesting news note right there as far as that's concerned. J.R. Smith, how, how much does he have left in the tank? <laughs> Let me first say this. I like J.R. Smith. Now, J.R. Smith is on this team for three reasons. One, him and LeBron are tight. Tight, tight, tight. <laughs> Two, they have a relationship winning a championship with the Cavs. Three, he can still knock down open three-pointers. Yes, he's still hot and cold sometimes, but he can still do that. And don't expect J.R. Smith to be doing a lot of, all right, I'm going to bring the ball up. No, you're going to go to that corner. You're going to play defense. And when I kick it to you, you shoot it. When Anthony Davis kicks it to you, you shoot it. That's it. That's all. So... Shoot threes, play defense. Congrats, J.R. Smith. You are back in the NBA. I'm not a big fan of it. Um, I don't think he was that good during his last stretch in the NBA. And keep in mind, I think it was um, he's 40, he's 34 years old. He hasn't played in a game since November of 2018. That's a long time to be off the floor. Are you sure? Yep. J.R. Smith has not played in an NBA game since November of 2018 with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He worked out for the Lakers in February. Um, the team ended up signing Dion Waiters, Alex Caruso, and Contavious Caldwell Pope. With uh, you know, that's back when they made those moves. As far as that's concerned, I so, forgot my guy Dion Waiters went there too. Yeah. Wow, LeBron Waiters, getting... Waiters has had some interesting. Uh, oh yeah, storylines throughout his career. Edibles on a plane. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, J.R. Smith and LeBron they go back as you mentioned. Uh, you know, he's played 15 seasons. Um, 
New Orleans drafted him back in early 2000s, 2004. Came out of you know St. Benedict's Prep in New Jersey. Uh, he also made stops in Denver, New York. Uh, he won title or he won an NBA title with LeBron in the Cavaliers in 16, and won the NBA Six Man Award in 2013 with the Knicks. Um, so again, the NBA their transition window or transaction window, I'm sorry, uh, is through July 1st, and it allows teams to sign free agents prior to traveling to Orlando. Um, so all those players there are, are going to be able to get tested and uh, enter the bubble. As far as that's concerned, uh, who we got? Is that go to line three? Just hit line three. We'll see who this is. Line three, what's up, man? How are you? How are you? Good. Is this Dickie? Yeah, how you doing? Good. How are you? Okay. Did you hang up? up? You hung up. Oh, no. I couldn't get to... Uh, something happened, but I called back. Wow, boy. We appreciate that. How are you? How was your weekend? Oh, just busy at Lowe's. You know, everything's good. But um, um, I told you, you told me we're going to have baseball, didn't you? Yes, and I knew it all along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you... Uh, foresee the Reds to be pretty good this year? I think they're going to be really, really good this year. I mean, I I think it's tough. I think what, what the interesting thing about a 60-game season is I think it makes a lot of teams, even the good teams, vulnerable, and I think it makes the, the bad teams a little bit more dangerous because baseball is such a streaky sport. You can have a good team get off to a bad start and a bad team get off to a good start, and it's going to make for some really interesting pennant races down the stretch. I, I'm, I'm pumped about the 60-game regular season. Yeah, uh, I think the Indians are going to be good this year, too. There you go. Yep. Cavs a big uh, Indians fan. Oh, are you, Kevin? 100% hometown. Oh, really? You yep. from up in that area? Yes, sir. What part? Cleveland. Oh, <laughs> East Cleveland. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah. Do you like the Browns uh, radio voices? Uh, actually, I love the radio teams up there in Cleveland, but I am not a Cleveland Browns fan. Yeah, he's a hater, yes, Dickie. Yes. Oh, he's really? a hater. Oh, yeah. How about the Cavaliers? You like the Cavaliers? I root for the Cavs. I wouldn't say I'm a fan, though, but I root for the Cavs for sure. The only team from Cleveland that I truly, truly love is the Tribe, the Indians. Oh, really? Yeah. Hey, Dickie, you're from Dayton, right? I don't know no, much no, about I'm you. I'm from up north. A okay. little town. It's called Wellington. It's uh, up by Oberlin. Okay. Oh, okay. The training tracks, you know, I was the just about because I know why Kev's you know an Indians and fan <laughs> and stuff like that, but I wasn't sure. So I was like, well, with you being such a big Cleveland fan, Dickie, I'd figured you were from up north. So there oh, you yeah. go. I was born in Lakewood, but my dad he would have had a birthday yesterday. He'd have been hundred and four. My uncles, and it's funny. My uncle Carl was always a big fan. You know, he always would hear me and talk. And no kidding. Hey, how many games? Um, do you go? Have you? How many Cavs games or, or Browns games have you been to? Indians well, I games? used to go in the seventies. There was a friend of mine that worked at a, a, a supply. He was a t- Tony would get me tickets. I, I went in the eighties a little bit. I got to see him play the Bengals. Uh, oh shoot! Uh, he would get tickets, and I enjoyed. I went about. Let's see. I went to about eight or nine Brown games in the eighties. It was pretty good. Very nice. When's the last game you've been to? Oh, it's been probably 14 years. 14 years. Well, I tell you what, things ain't going to work out this year for tickets, but next year uh, we're going to get you tickets so you can go watch the, the the Indians play at the Reds. How about that? Oh, that'll be good. Sound like a plan? Yeah, we all go together maybe. Uh, well, maybe. We'll see about that. But I'm going to get you some tickets, and you're going to you're going to go. You could take some coworkers and stuff. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, but hey, Dickie, it was great hearing from you. I hope you had a good weekend. Yeah, always a pleasure, buddy. Take care. Take care. That's Dickie from Dayton, man. The legend. I've never asked. I mean, he always calls in to talk Cleveland. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I don't even know if he's from here or what. Mm-hmm. So, interesting stuff there. All right. Um, 
as we get into this, by the way, Reds fans coming up speaking to baseball. Uh, we're going to talk about the Cincinnati Reds uh, with Bobby Nightingale, Reds beat writer with the Inquirer. He's going to join us coming up in just under 15 minutes uh, at 4.30. Excited to talk with him. Should there be some Reds players? Uh, what's the possibility of some Reds players sitting out of this 60-game sprint to the finish line regular season? We'll get to all that coming up. Take a listen to the Justin Kinner Show Top Headlines. It's the Justin Kinner Show's Top Headlines. All right, let's hit the ground running. How about this, Kev? Netflix is going to produce a six-part series on Colin Kaepernick. Now, um, when I first initially heard this, I was like, okay, a six-part docuseries on Colin Kaepernick. It's strictly going to be just about, you know, for the time he decided he was going to kneel, and it's just going to follow that storyline. Um, I'm not saying I wasn't interested in it, but I feel like because we're so caught up in everything going on that I feel like I'm not interested in the docuseries because we're, we're seeing it, following it day to day. What I really like about this, is is the series is going to be called Colin in Black and White? It'll explore the quarterback's high school years. It's going to explore um, the you know his high school years and his journey in life, attempting to show the experiences and insights that led to his activism. Because so many people keep saying, "Well, his parents are white," and they keep making all these <laughs> dumb as if like, "Well, what's wrong? Why is he so angry? His parents are white." He hearing stupid stuff like that. So this is going to. I'm really interested in this as far as that's concerned. Um, just kind of more of the background info because people they, they like to go to Wikipedia and find out who his parents are or who his friends were growing up what high school he went to and then try to label him based on that there's more to him than just that it's not like he just woke up one day and didn't, felt a little tired and you know and kneel during the national anthem there's more to it I think this series is going to be interesting yeah I think it's going to show a gradual growth in the direction to be a part of activism it's not something that you just wake up on a Tuesday and say you know what I'm going to be out here protesting I'm going to be a man of the people it's a gradual situation. It's a learning curve to a lot of things, and I think that this docuseries is going to present that. And also, it's going to be uh, directed and produced by Avery DuVernay. She's been a part of that great Netflix series, When They See Us, uh, part of uh, the movie Selma, A Wrinkle in Time, so many great movies she's been a part of. So anything Avery DuVernay is behind, I'm always going to check out. And Colin Kaepernick, I'm with him 100%. Yeah, Kaepernick uh, will appear as a narrator uh, with an actor playing him as a youth in the scripted drama um, of a black child adopted by a white family. So is so it's not a, a lie. It's not a docuseries. Okay. It's not a I docuseries. thought it was a docuseries. Okay. No, this is be Netflix to produce six-part series on Colin Kaepernick. I thought it was supposed to be... What I initially understood in just hearing people talk about on the radio today was that it was a docuseries. But it's saying Kaepernick will appear as a narrator, but an actor will be playing him as a youth in the scripted drama of a black child adopted by a white family. So, okay, that makes sense. Either way, still interested in this regardless. I mean, it's just going to be a way to kind of take you behind the curtain a little bit uh, to the early years of Colin Kaepernick. Interesting, nonetheless. Uh, we opened up talking about Major League Baseball and, uh, and COVID-19 and the impact as far as that's concerned. How about this, Kev? The Dayton Flyers football program has announced that they have canceled their week one matchup against Southeast Missouri State due to COVID-19. Now, I was like, when I read this, I'm like, oh, man, is that are we a month away from that? No, the first game, Kev, is not until September 3rd, and it's June mm-hmm. 29th. I don't get this. Um, I'm sure there's more behind the scenes as to what led to this, so I'm not going to mock it or anything because I'm not going to mock anything as far as it. But what I don't like is 
Well, we're going to cancel it because on September 3rd, it's going to be too dangerous to play football. But seven days later, I think we'll be in the clear. I think we can move forward and play. I don't get it. I'm not a, I, I, again, I'm not going to say I don't like it. I just don't get it. This is where I was at with the, the Hall of Fame game with the NFL last week. This is the Hall of Fame game. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. But the principle of it is, hey, we, you know, it's not safe enough to play the Hall of Fame game, but you're going to play a preseason game seven days later. Did the league, did the world, did COVID-19 all of a sudden become safer seven days later? Right. For the Dayton Flyers football program, they cancel it on September 3rd. That's fine. But... This is why I'm not confident about the rest of the season because now you're trying to convince me that all of a sudden, seven days later, it became safer. Uh, but I respect Coach Chamberlain and, and the job he does there. And again, he has a tough task, at, you know, right now trying to make every decision he makes. You know, you pull the plug on the season, you're going to piss a lot of people off. Right. If you keep playing during it and the kids start getting sick, they're going to point the finger and blame you, even though you know. So he's in a. It's a, it's a lose-lose situation. I respect the job he's done, and I, and I trust the decisions he's going to make moving forward. So I'm not ripping him for this. I'm just saying I, this. I would be questioning any team out there calling it quits or canceling something, mainly because you're going to play seven days later. And I, I don't see how the league became safe or how college football became safer in seven days after that. That's all. I kind of felt the same way about when college baseball canceled every sport in the spring semester. I kind of thought that they should have put it just on pause and see where things were. And if they needed to cancel, they went ahead and canceled later on. It just seemed like as soon as March Madness got canceled, everything else got canceled related to college sports. Um, as for UD and the football team, I do think there it has to be more. You, I'm sure it's uh, something going on with the other universities that they're playing. Maybe their numbers are spiking just like they're spiking here. And I get it. Seven days later, are things going to be that much different? We don't know. And that's the crazy thing about this whole situation. We don't know. We have Governor DeWine on right now, the press conference right now, giving us updates. And one of the things he's saying is we just don't know. <laughs> that's, 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 that's the whole thing about this whole COVID-19. You can make plans on Monday and things can change by Tuesday because we just don't know. Yeah, well, don't close anything, DeWine. <laughs> don't do it. People just wear a mask and stop being a pain in the ass. I think we can all get through this. Don't oh. close it, DeWine. Oh, that mask thing is real, man. I saw a mask. Incident You're not going to put weekend. a muzzle on me like I'm a dog. You see that on Facebook? Yes. I'm yes. not a dog. You're not going to put a muzzle on me. Woof, woof. You must be a Browns fan. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but regardless, you know, I'm pulling for a season one way or another. And, for sure. You know, week one matchup, September 3rd. We'll see. Going to keep an eye on that as far as that's concerned. Uh, Imani Bates, uh, next story up. It's the Justin Kinder Show top headlines. Imani Bates, a 2020 top recruit, commits to Michigan State. Why is this a big deal? I became really intrigued when you look every year, there's the number one player of the country in every info, whether it's basketball, whether it's football, baseball, softball, volleyball, whatever it is, okay? And you, you read reports from these recruits, and they always sound the same. The most explosive player in this upcoming, you know, in this upcoming um, class or whatever. But this is what caught my attention, Kev. A generational prospect. He's considered the best high school, uh, high school prospect in more than a decade. These types of labels, these types of descriptions really catch my attention. I don't know much about this kid other than following just kind of the, you know, on Twitter and just his recruiting journey and stuff. And it sounds like for him being a generational prospect and being the best high school prospect in over a decade, he's not a lot of teams were aggressive in pursuing him. And by the way, it's 2020 and he's committing two years out. That's the that, that's why you jump on these kids. I'd say middle school, but you jump on them early when you when you notice that there's something there. 
he, he showed respect to Michigan State because they were one of the first teams, if not the first team, that jumped on his recruiting trail. But it, they were saying that not a lot of teams jumped on it right away. So it's interesting. Tom Izzo has an eye for that stuff. Pretty good. Um, not to say that I'm an inside guy, but I do Insider. have... Insider. <laughs> Inside Kev Nash. I do Insider. have a little bit of insight to this process with Imani Bates. You know uh, no, I don't know him. I, not, a, not at all. But you have a beer with him? <laughs> de- definitely not. He's 16. Uh, <laughs> but uh, people knew this where he was going. Like, it wasn't up for, like, a debate. There wasn't going to be a Duke swooping in, taking him, North Carolina taking him. You know, wasn't going to be any of that. It was basically Michigan, Michigan State. He's, for lack of a better word, he's a mama's boy. He's uh, very close with his father and everything like that. And the reason he's so sought after is because he's skillful. He's very skillful. It isn't just like, oh, man, he's so much faster than everybody. He has this athleticism that's blowing people away. He's skillful. It's, I hate to put labels on people and it's like, oh, he's the next so-and-so. But the way he plays basketball reminds people of Kevin Durant. I mean, he's already 6'9". Jay is crazy. He's skinny as all get out. Looks looks like Kevin Durant when he plays basketball. And so reports are he's interested. Anything that wins the championship <laughs> this year, he's interested in joining them next season. Right? But I will say this about him: like you said, it's 2021. Things can change with the NBA. Like I wouldn't guarantee that he's going to Michigan State. Yeah, because they're talking about. Oh well, when's that one and done rule? I thought that was up in 2021. It's coming up soon. I or is it that year? It might be that, that year. season. It's that season. Yep. It's that season. So it's him. It's another kid. Uh, Dior Johnson, like they're all like these big time guys for the class of 2021, but they're they're committed to schools. Yeah, but soon as if the NBA opens it up to straight out of high school again, you know they're not going to college. Like this is not happening. I mean, so many guys are going straight to the G League now anyway. But college is, I think college is still a, you know what I'm saying, a better avenue for a lot of these guys to really get their talents and be coached up well. But once that NBA one-and-done rule goes away, these guys are not going to college. And I'm fine with that. I I, it, I don't think you notice. Like, it's easy for us to look back and say, oh, man, can you imagine if uh, we got two years of this guy, two years of that guy? If you don't see it, it's not like college basketball was not impacted by LeBron James not playing college basketball. Because... It's just something that, you know what I mean? You just don't think about it. Like, I I don't think he hurt college basketball by not playing in college. It would have been intriguing. It would have been fun. Um, But I I don't think, I think the one and done hurts college basketball more than the high schoolers going straight to the pros. Fair. Fair. As far as that goes. So, and last but not least, the Korea Baseball Organization prepping for fans in the stands as soon as this Friday. All right, so May 5th is when that season started, all right? Uh, May 5th is when uh, the Korean baseball, uh, Korea Baseball Organization started playing. They had their opening day. They, of course, went through the, you know, are going through the pandemic still, just like we are. Um, but with that being said, the, the plan is is to open up to 30% capacity uh, and then moving their way up to 50% capacity uh, by the end of the season. Great American Ballpark, Kevin, sits 42,000 fans. Mm-hmm. 30% of that is 12,000, 12,600 plus. So 
if that's where Major League Baseball, I'm just using this as an example, like let's say by the end of uh, opening day, July 23rd, um, you have August, let's say September. Let's say Major League Baseball says, all right, we're going to allow fans to start going to games in September, uh, but we're going to open it up to 30, uh, 30% capacity. We could be looking at a situation where maybe only 12,690 plus fans are able to attend Great American Ballpark, which is usually their typical September attendance anyway, so <laughs> really wouldn't be that different. Uh, <laughs> be so, nice, be um, nice. Interesting nonetheless, but uh, yeah, um, the virus isn't gone any, going anywhere, but if you're out and about, you're still allowed to go to restaurants, you're allowed to go to malls, and you're allowed to you know, do whatever. Why not be able to attend a baseball game or an NBA game or an NFL or college football? I'm sure they're requiring people to wear masks. No, oh, I ain't no dog. You ain't going to muzzle me like a dog. I ain't going to wear no mask. All right. Justin Kenner, Kev Nash with you here. That was the Justin Kenner Show top headlines. The Justin Kenner Show with Kev Nash. Back to the famous WING studios. Here's Justin Kenner and Kev Nash. Welcome back. Justin Kenner, Kevin Nash with you here on 1410 ESPN Radio. Coming up, top of the hour, Kev Nash will bring us over under. Kev Nash, what is our over under for today? It's day? all about Cam Newton. All about Cam Newton? All about Cam Newton. People all fired up a little bit because, you know, he accepted such little money to go play at the page. I mean, he, hell, he got paid more at Auburn, man. <laughs> His dad got paid, well, built him a church. Well, you know. By the way, what's going on with Zion? Weren't we mad because he was eating things behind the scenes? But uh, no one's given any any indication to the front office or their teammates that uh, they plan they plan to opt out. It's going to be interesting tracking that. And I think right now it's a situation where, like, no one's like, I'm not upset at any player that opts out. Obviously, everyone's going to have their reasons to do so. What about the NL Central in general? Uh, I was reading an article about Rizzo, Anthony Rizzo, earlier today. What about the NL Central as a whole? Are there some key players that could play a big role in this if they opt out as well? Yeah, I mean, it, you, you saw the, you know, that you mentioned Mike Lee, Ryan Zimmerman, Joe Roth. I mean, obviously, those guys all came out today. I think there's a deadline either today or tomorrow where guys do have to tell teams that they're going to opt out uh, at this point. What, um, so it has to be, I think, today or tomorrow. And if they don't do it by then, then they're kind of committed to the season unless something changes. Uh, and, you know, if there's a ton of coronavirus outbreaks or something, that might change things. But uh, as of now, the deadline is today or tomorrow. We know how ugly the negotiations got between the Players Association and the league, and obviously from the time that the season, you know, that they announced that, okay, we're going to have a 60-game season, players report to spring, or not spring training, uh, summer camp on on July 1st. Um, it, it seems like things have died down, and a lot of optimism and excitement is officially back. How excited are you, for one, who covers the Reds, that this is no longer a conversation about will there be a season, it's finally about looking at the roster breakdown, and who's going to play where, and who's going to have what role. I'm sure that's uh, a lot of excitement for you as well yeah i mean it was almost just like an extended off season where you just had trouble coming up with things to write about and to talk about it was just you know you can only talk about the negotiations for so long and fans only care for so long <laughs> i think everyone just got so sick of it after a month or two um but yeah i mean it, it's nice to get back to it I, I think people understand if if the season was derailed because of the coronavirus if the pandemic you know, got worse, and they had to cancel the season that way. But if money got in the way, I th- you know, I-, I think you would have lost a ton of fans that way. 
Do you see, I mean, again, lots of optimism right now, but, uh, I mean, is there a, a doomsday scenario that, you know, this virus can just obviously, you know, decimate the, the regular season? I mean, is there any concern for you at all that once the season starts that there's a chance that it might come to an end and it won't be the anticipation in October that we're anticipating? I mean, yeah, I definitely think there's a chance. I mean, you can tell owners were scared of a second wave. Otherwise, you'd have the postseason go through November. Uh, there's a reason they didn't want to play in November. They want to end it, you know, as early as possible. So they'll stick to the regular October schedule. But that's primarily because of fears of a second wave uh, around the country. And then also, I mean, all it takes is one player who's hospitalized or even worse. Uh, and, you know, people are going to have second thoughts about whether it's even worth it to have a season. Uh, but fortunately, everyone who's tested positive so far has either not shown symptoms or had mild symptoms. All right, we have Bobby Nightingale covers the Cincinnati Reds for the Inquirer. Good enough to join us here on the Justin Kenner Show. The 50, uh, 57-man player pool uh, roster for the Reds for their preseason camp. Uh, a couple of names that were noticeably not on the list featured Hunter Green, of course, and uh, no Derek Dietrich. Now, obviously these names, and maybe not so much Hunter Green, but Derek Dietrich could always be added back at a later time. What's the reason for why they're not on there, in your opinion, mainly Derek Dietrich, and why would you bring him back later? What's he doing in the meantime, I guess? Why would he not be preparing for the season as well? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a confusing decision to me as well because he does have an opt-out clause in his contract. So he could you know, choose to become a free agent before the season starts. Uh, I think it's July 18th. Guys with an opt-out clause can request to be released. So, the, the, you know, the Reds just chose, I mean, Basically, they're preferring Josh Van Meter over Derek Dietrich in their infield and some of the other options uh, to play in their infield instead of Dietrich. And uh, you know, he had a good, he was hurt a little bit at the end of last season. You know, the stats were the stats. I mean, he was he wasn't what he was at all in the first half. Uh, but this spring, he looked like his power was back. The results in spring training games weren't great, but uh, he, he looked like in batting practice the Derek Dietrich of old, and uh, you know, he just looked healthier. And so I I, I thought he had a legitimate chance in spring training, the original spring training, to make the original 26-man roster. Uh, so it surprised me that his name was offered. This team was fairly healthy coming into the original spring training. Eugenio Suarez was the bigger name that, you know, obviously had that, that accident that, of course, he, was, he wasn't sure if he were going to be 100% coming into the season. Obviously, that's not the case now, uh, unless I'm missing something. Are there any behind-closed-door injuries that the Reds have experienced through this, uh, these, coming, or these previous months that the, the Reds are worried about coming into the summer camp that tips off here in a few days? No, everyone says they're healthy. Nick Senzel, Eugenio Suarez, they say they're 100%. Uh, so it'll be full speed ahead once everyone uh, arrives for their workouts. All right. And, again, I'm, one thing I'm really pumped about this coming up season, too, I don't know where you fall, Bobby, about the, the DH and and, where, and what, the, you know, as far as that's concerned. But uh, when you look at the, the role for the DH and the Cincinnati Reds, who is going to be that primary guy? Or is this going to be like every other David Bell position with this Reds team? He rotates guys in so many different positions all the time that it's tough to tell who's the primary whatever. Who's going to be the primary DH, uh, in your opinion, for the Reds? I think it'll shuffle a little bit just based off lefty-righty matchups, but I think Jesse Winker is a prime candidate. Uh, you know, he's just not a great defender, but he's a great hitter, especially against right-handed pitching. And also Nick Castellanos, he doesn't have a great defensive reputation, but the fact you can get his bat in the lineup... I, I, I could see Castellanos versus lefties being the DH and then Linker versus righties being the DH. Bobby, when do you anticipate the schedule uh, to come out? Uh, I mean, is, should that be something relatively soon, end of the week? Uh, when are, are you hearing when that could potentially come out? It might be another week, unfortunately. It's one of those things where 
since there's no tickets to sell, uh, you know, MLB can kind of wait a little bit. I mean, the biggest holdup is saying, say there's an outbreak in Texas and Texas teams can't play at their home parks. So then they have to, you know, then they have to find a new place to play home games. So I think MLB is waiting just a little bit just to see how, you know, if the cases have spiked up in some states, just to see if they can remain there or if they have to play somewhere else, then you're able to change the schedule without, you know, it's already been public and then trying to redo the whole thing. All right, last thing as we let you go here, Bobby. I appreciate you taking time and hanging out with us for a bit. Uh, you know, we're always sitting here now. We're looking at, we know it's the NL Central versus the AL Central and, you know, 10, 10 matchups against uh, NL Central opponents. What, where do you see, I mean, the Reds over, uh, the over-under on their win total was 31.5. How good is this team? I, I feel like I'm being a homer when I look at the pitching and I look at the bullpen. I look at the, the depth in the lineup. I, I keep, I think I'm overconfident as far as I'm concerned. Just how confident are you in this unit? I think I think you can be confident in this team. I mean, the offense should be a lot better. I mean, it can't be worse than it was last year. The starting pitching, I mean, they're going to give you a chance to win every day. The bullpen's the one area where I, there's a little bit of concern. I mean, it's just it was a they were okay in the bullpen last year. They didn't really upgrade. They added Pedro Strope, but that was really the only addition. And in the 60 game season, I mean, the bullpen any bullpen implosion is going to look terrible. Um, obviously, you know, they had Bryce Iglesias who lost 12 games last year. It'll be better, but it's one of those things where if, if you knew it was going to be a 60-game season, I, I bet they would have tried to address it a little bit more and added at least another arm for the back end of the bullpen. The trade deadline is still there, obviously, for this shortened season. Does that increase the chances of a Francisco Lindor being traded from Cleveland? And uh, does that increase the urgency for the Reds to try to get a deal done? And that's the last question on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think if if you could guarantee you'd be able to finish the entire season, I bet they'd consider the option of trading for Lindor. I mean, obviously they'd love to have him. Obviously the shortstop is still, you know, if there it would be his for the taking if you want if they could acquire him. Uh, but your problem is, you know, you, you don't want to trade, you know, a few top prospects. You get Lindor, and then your season's wiped away because of the coronavirus, and then he's a free agent after the 2021 season. What about Trevor Bauer? Is Trevor Bauer a, uh, a piece that I think it's all going to depend on where the Reds are at within the standings at this time, but is he a guy that they're looking to be married to long-term, uh, or is this a thing that they're going to wait and see and gauge the, gauge the uh, temperature of the room, no pun intended, when you get to the deadline? Uh, well, he, he said he only wants to sign one-year contracts in his career, and you know it's something that he's kind of stuck to. He hasn't really deviated from. So he, I, I think his plan is to reach free agency. Now, if the Reds we're way out of it, and they started one in ten. I'm sure they would look to trade them. I just don't know what you'd get back for them. You know, if any teams would have that much interest in the shortened season. Uh, but you know, he's a guy that if, if things go well with the Reds this year, I could see him resigning. If they don't, you know, he's kind of up for grabs to the highest bidder. All right, this will be it. I apologize. I wanted to make sure I get this in. Media is media allowed at these games? If so, will you be at, will you be covering the Reds at Great American Ballpark? I will be, but we're only allowed to be in the press box, so all our interviews will be over Zoom. Um, you know, even even in preseason workouts, we're only going to be allowed in the press box, so it'll be a little bit different because we'll be, you know, trying to judge bullpens from a thousand yards away uh, <laughs> compared to having a chance to watch them from up close. All right. Well, Bobby Nightingale, good enough to join us, covers the Cincinnati Reds for the Cincinnati Inquirer. Bobby, thank you so much for taking time and hanging out with us today. Much appreciated. Yeah. Thanks again.
All right. Again, uh, Bobby Nightingale, again, we'll have that interview up on the website at wingam.com immediately following the show uh, here today. But some interesting stuff there, too, about the DH as far as that's concerned. I don't think it's going to be a set DH every day. I think it's going to be matchup based, as you just heard him talk about, uh, pitching based. But the Francisco Lindor thing, keep an eye on that. Kev, I know you, you, you hate that, but <laughs> no, he, I don't like that. He's man. not, he's not going to be an Indian moving forward. So it's just one of those things where you know he's going to be on the go. Right. And if you're, the, you know, but I'm trying to decide if the shortened season increases the chances of the Indians moving on from him at this deadline or if it lessens the chances of him. And by lessens, I mean, does that scare other teams away from making a move? Right. If you're the Cincinnati Reds, you got to decide, okay, you just spent a ton of money this past offseason. If you pull the trigger on this move and you acquire Francisco Lindor, you got to have a plan for him after. You took a chance on Trevor Bauer last year, which that trade for last year was not about putting the Reds back in a playoff hunt for the second half of the season. I think that they were looking at that as, hey, if we get Trevor Bauer and, and we start making some you know, changes and, and we start winning some games and we find ourselves in the playoff hunt in the second half of last year, then great. But that move was made for this year. The problem is, is the season doesn't start to the end of July. Right. 60 games sprint to the finish line. You don't, and service time counts the same. So Trevor Bauer, it's, that's why they're going all in this year. If they're in position where they can jump out and take control of the NL Central, right. I think if you're the Reds, even if it means giving up some key prospects to get Francisco Lindor for what is already a shortened season, just because it's a shortened season doesn't mean that it changes your end goal of winning a World Series. If anything, that makes it easier. You get rid of a couple prospects, you get a Francisco Lindor, maybe you win the NL Central, maybe you go on a deep playoff run, maybe you find yourself in the World Series. To me, it's worth it, even the risk of potentially not being able to re-sign him and losing some key prospects. If I'm the Reds, I pull the trigger on that if they find themselves in position to do so. Maybe not now, before before heading into camp, right? But let's say you went. I think the deadline's in August, so let's say that you have a two-game lead in the NL Central. I mean, you get that Francisco Lindor. That two-game lead, you can maybe turn that into a four or five-game lead, which is over with as far as the sixty-game schedule is concerned. Do it. They have to do it. Um, I get the risk of you know you might lose some key prospects and only get them for the playoff run, but that's why you play a full season to begin with. If I'm the Reds, I can seriously consider it. I think it swings both ways. I think you're right. If the tribe the indians are off to a poor start i think that increases their chances to dealing i think it'll be a perfect opportunity for them to deal and be like all right we're going to go ahead and trade them now get what we can get or flee somebody because they're going to when they trade them they're going to ask for everything plus the world when they do trade them but the impact on the team trading a big time player like that isn't going to be felt as much because it is a short season and vice versa goes for the team trading for that player that means they're going all in and why why wouldn't you go all in on a shortened season? That means, in my eyes, that means you have a better chance of winning it all on a shortened season when you stockpile more talent. So it all depends on how both teams come out the gates. Because if both teams come out the gates good, well, basically it's really on the Indians. Because if they come out the gates good, why would you go ahead and give them up now? It's like, well, we're in it just like everybody else, so we might as well just ride it out until the off season because the off season is going to be here quicker than not. Just ride it out. But if they start out bad, you might as well dump them and trade them now. So next season, you have all these prospects to talk about for the upcoming season that you don't have to have that hanger over your head for a full length season next season. So for me, it's all about how the Indians come out the gates. Do they come out firing all cylinders, looking like they can make a deep run? If they if they do, keep them. If they don't, trade them to the highest bidder. If the highest bidder is the Reds, so be it.
Well, we've seen the Indians make a tough decision in the past when their team's in contention. They traded Trevor Bauer last year, mm-hmm. still won 90-plus games, um, still were one of the top teams in baseball. But we'll see what's going to happen. Um, n- there's nothing normal about this season. 60 right. games, everything is just going to feel different. The trade deadline will not feel... There's going to be more teams... Like That's why this trade deadline might be the most entertaining trade deadline of them all, because there's going to be so many more teams in it. Now, that might kill the deadline. Because there's so many teams in it, they might not be as eager to trade away their key pieces. Uh, I don't know if that's going to help or not. You know, There's going to be a lot of player teams that are going to say, man, we need to make a big splash at the deadline. But the splashes are going to be few, far and few between, maybe. If because there's a lot more teams in contention, there might be less teams willing to move on from one of their stars because they feel like you just talked about. We have a chance. Let's just take a chance and see what we can do this offseason. So it's going to this postseason, I should say. Going to be an interesting um, follow, that's for sure. Hey, Johnny Manziel's in the news, huh? Johnny Manziel is doing his best Undertaker impersonation. I'll explain when we come back. Back to the Justin Kinner Show on 1410 ESPN Radio and on the stream at wingam.com. Cancel Jamel! Never! She's people going in on her. So she had this tweet from years ago. Where'd it go? And this is a quote. Um, I don't. I mean, who knows? I don't. I didn't pay attention to what was going on in 2009. I was my freshman year of college. I was drunk a lot, so I have no clue what that was going on. Way to go, in 2009. So keep in mind, uh, people are just going after her, and she can't just stop. She has to keep arguing with people on Twitter, and I'm just like, oh, just stop, because yeah, I don't know. It's just painful. But regardless, she enjoys the challenge. I tell you that much. She's here for it. She's yep. here for all the smoke, as they say. All right. Um, Johnny Manziel is doing his best Undertaker impersonation. He's walking away. The difference is his Undertaker's walking off on his own accord, kind of, limping, gimping, you know. Uh, Johnny Manziel says that his football career is in the past. No. Johnny Manziel. Why are we talking about Johnny Manziel still? Johnny football. Why is he a headline on ESPN? Because there's nothing going on right now, and we're really just stretching for anything right now. Johnny Manziel says his football career is in the past. The former Cleveland Browns quarterback, stop calling him that, uh, made his declaration <laughs> in an interview with the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. The Lubbock Avalanche Journal, that's how bad your career has fallen, Johnny Manziel. You went from one of the most talked-about college athletes and, and professional athletes out there to now being interviewed by the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. What in the blue hell is the Lubbock Avalanche Journal? What you Avalanche got against Journal? the Lubbock Avalanche the Journal? Whatever I'm assuming said. Lubbock. Is that in Texas? I'm yeah, assuming I'm Lubbock, Texas. Okay, but the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. There you go. I mean, that's as bad as being in the Dayton Daily News. I mean, holy smokes. I mean, who, you you are being quoted from the, the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. Give me a break. I mean, that's how far. Where, where'd you go? I'm not talking to you. What? You didn't have to say that. I absolutely had to say that. The Dayton Flyer Daily News. That's exactly what I say. What I say. (laughs) Breaking news. Dayton Flyer. Use the restroom this morning. (laughs) Tune in later this afternoon for more. Is my name on this show? (laughs) It's up to you. (laughs) It's up to you. Anyways. All right. Kev Nash, a part of the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash, will bring us top headlines. Don't go anywhere.
Kevin Kinner Show with Kev Nash. Oh, look at that. Your name is in the show. How about it is. And all complaints to at the one Kev Nash <laughs> on Twitter. On Twitter. Use the Twitter and tweet the show. I look at it as like good cop, bad cop. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I just thought about that, too. <laughs> yeah, like, never mind. Well, <laughs> just keep moving. Everything else cop related has been pulled off the air, so I don't really want to be good cop, bad cop, as far as that's concerned. Oh, man. you Speaking of that, man, you have to watch The Wire, man. I'm going to nag you about that until you watch it, man. You have to watch The Wire. The Wire is one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Breaking Bad, The Wire, they're on the same level as entertainment. I still haven't watched that last part of Better Call Saul. Oh, my goodness. Better call Saul. Uh, I am uh, three more episodes left of Queen of the South in season four. So I'm about to be done with that. And then I'm going to take probably like a good two weeks off from watching like a series and just get caught up on movies. Since uh, everything is on demand now, like movies that were supposed to be in theaters and stuff like that. I'm going to get caught up on that. I'm going to watch Toy Story. I'm going to watch all that. I'm going to watch Frozen. I'm watching everything. Hold up. Frozen. What? Let it go. No, no, it's not. It's just the Justin Kinner show, folks. It's just the Justin <laughs> Kinner show. Worked uh, my way off. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm about to call out someone else on the show and then put your name on it. How about that? <laughs> All right. Uh, lots to get into here in this hour. We're going to get back into this uh, Cam Newton, New England Patriots thing. By the way, I totally forgot to get into the fact that the Patriots were, they were kind of slapped on the wrist once again. You know, they were slapped on the wrist once again. We'll get into that. But first... Let's dive into Kev Nash, part of the show, brings us Over Under. Kev Nash brings you Over Under. All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So Cam Newton signed with the New England Patriots yesterday, one-year contract with the New England Patriots. So I decided to take a little deep dive into Cam Newton. So it's you last, and damn deep dive. Yes, yeah, last season as a full-time starter, we'll say in 2018. Um, he started 14 games. Their record was 6-8. and eight. So, I took a look at those stats. Over or under, rushing touchdowns for Cam Newton this upcoming season, five. His last year was four rushing touchdowns in 2018. So, are you going to roll with over or under five rushing touchdowns for Cam Newton? What? Do you just have his numbers from 18? What's yeah. the average amount of touchdowns per season he averages? Uh, but either way, uh, I'm going to say under um, yeah. because the people keep talking about the fact that, uh, oh, Bill Belichick, he's always wanted a mobile quarterback. That's the deal. You don't want to use Cam in a mobile way if you don't have to. Um, I should say push because I, th- I don't think that's that high of a number. And I think a lot of goal line situations, Cam Newton's big enough that you can do a quarterback sneak. And, you know, but you do have Sonny Michelle. You do have some good running backs if you're the New England Patriots. Talked about that offensive line. If, if, if he finds himself in a lot of goal line situations, that number can be up. But if you're five to ten yards out and you're calling scrambles for, Colin, or for, uh, for uh, Cam Newton, uh, it's a situation where I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. I think that's dumb. Colin Ka- I keep calling him Colin Kaepernick. What the hell? Um, Cam Newton, I'm sorry. Cam- if you're calling scramble plays for Cam Newton after he's coming off all these shoulder issues, and not the same shoulder issues as your quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, by the way, uh, but the shoulder issues that Cam Newton has. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, where was I going with this? I had to get that joke in, and it totally threw me off. Uh, Cam, it's To sum up, it's dumb if you drop a lot of scramble plays for Cam Newton when you're trying to protect him, but if if you're Bill Belichick this year, you know, even if he plays at his highest of levels, that you're an organization that's not going to pay him that top dollar, you might treat him like a rental. 
You ever drive? You ever treat your rental with respect? <laughs> I'm just saying. So I'm going to say push. I think he'll be right at that number that you just mentioned. I'm going to go under because they have Sony Michelle, they have James White, uh, they still have Rex Burkhead on the roster as well. I'm going to go with under uh, five rush touch- touchdowns for Cam, um, just because of that, and like you said, with the whole shoulder situation. All right. In 2018, when he was a full-time starter, he threw 13 interceptions. This upcoming season, under or over 10 interceptions thrown for Cam Newton. I'm going to say, ooh, 13, huh? Mm-hmm. That'd be about a pick a game, assuming he's starting. No, I would, I, I would, that was 13 the in, in 18 when he was the last time a full-time starter. I went over or under 10 for this season. Over under 10. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to definitely go over. I'm going to definitely go over, mainly because... Uh, hell, that's tough. I'm going to say over, mainly just because, for one, the league is still a pass-heavy league. The Patriots, I mean, even Tom Brady was throwing the ball quite often. I think Cam Newton's going to try and force a lot of things. Cam Newton's aggressive, and when he when he's confident, and if he is healthy, he's going to try and force some things. You have Edelman, you have Sanu. Uh, you know, you, you're going to have some average weapons that I think he's going to try and enforce a lot of passes to and situate. I just I worry that he's not going to have the trust with his guys. Don't be surprised to see Josh Gordon come back. He he asked for a reinstatement with the league. I'm not sure it'd be funny. I, I think that he's gone back to New England how many times? I think New England they might be kind of foolish to bring him back, um, but we'll see what happens there. But they need to get him a weapon. If Cam Newton's going to be your guy, get him a weapon. It makes no sense to bring him there to keep him with Julian Edelman and Sanu. They need somebody else. I'm going to go with the over as well, just because Cam Newton's best throw is that deep in cut. And that takes timing with receivers. We're not going to have that whole mini camp that we are accustomed to. And he's going to be learning a whole new offense and everything like that. So I'm going to go over. And another thing, Cam has never been the most accurate passer anyway. So I'm going to go with over 10 interceptions. Another stat I heard this morning, uh, I think it was uh, Skip Bayless, talked about, again, I hate these advanced analytics stats except for whenever they help me. Um, (laughs) The... The push off, like they, as far as separation, receivers, Patriots ranks dead last as far as that's concerned among separation of the receivers against the secondary. There's not going to be, I mean, th- that's what I mean by I think he's going to force a lot. There's not going to be a lot of open receivers right. uh, as far as deep down the field. If we're just talking little, you know, short routes, it's one thing, but he's going to be throwing into a lot of traffic at times if, if that's the same thing. Again, this is the same receiving core as last year, dead last as far as separation goes. I wouldn't, you know, you know what I mean, Kelly? There's going to yeah. be that, that gap where he's going to throw to wide open receivers. He's going to be forcing a lot. I'm going to take the over 10. That's a good, good year. If you only throw 10 interceptions, yeah. that's a good, good year. I don't expect that type of great year from Cam Newton. So I'm going to say the over. Fair enough. All right. In 2018, Cam threw for 3,400 yards. This upcoming season, over or under 3,200 yards? 37, you said. So 500 less yards than the last time. Uh, I mean, look, they're playing in the first month of the season. You have Miami at home. You're at Seattle. You've got the Las Vegas Raiders. You're at Kansas City and Denver. Not a outside of Seattle. That's not a. Uh, it's not a loaded defensive front. I think he's going to throw for a lot of yards early on. I'm going to thirty-two hundred. Huh. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take the under. Wow. I'm going to take the under. I don't like his weapons. That's not his knock against him. I just I don't like his. Brady weapons. threw for like four four thousand last year. That's Tom Brady. Guys. That's what I'm telling you. Tom Brady's still he's still legit. He's still legit, and you should be happy. 
and, and, and happy that Tom Brady was able to do what he did. Now, I don't like Tom Brady with the Buccaneers. I don't know a lot of the Buccaneers fans, but the ones I do know, I'm not a big fan of them. So uh, the Buccaneers, I'm not I'm not rooting for him there, but uh, I can't wait for when he does go there and have success so I can look at you and say, hi, you should have listened to Kenner. Kenner was right. <laughs> Tom Brady only struggled in the playoffs because he had nobody. Got it, got it, got it. I'm going to go with the over. I'm going to go way over, man. I'm going to go. He's going to throw for like... 3,800 yards, man. That's Are you like, tracking all these like over-unders? Are you tracking like how many? I g- we got a system. Okay. <laughs> we can always pull the audio. No, I'm going to go with the over because that's just what this league is now. It's, it's a high-passing league. Even in situations where you don't pass the ball a lot, you end up throwing for a lot of yards. If you're up by a bunch, you throw for a bunch of yards. If you're losing by a bunch, you throw for a bunch of yards. That's just the way the league is set up now. So I'm going to go with the over. Well, real quick, I mean, mm-hmm. looking at the quarterbacks last year that threw for under 3,200. All right, that's a super low number. For one, Andy Dalton threw 3,400. I think it's really hard to throw less than Andy Dalton considering the mess that he had in Cincinnati. Um, so I'm wrong already. Uh, fine, <laughs> 3,200. That's a very that's a super low number. Kyle Allen with Carolina threw for 3,300 uh, last year. Gardner Minshew threw for 3,700. Uh, 32. I'm sorry, Gardner Minshew threw for 3,200 yards, 3,271. But the quarterbacks that threw for under 3,200 yards last year. Mitchell Trubisky. Cam Newton's not at that level. Um, Josh Allen. Daniel Jones. A rookie. Sam Darnold. Drew Brees threw for that. Yeah, that, that's kind of in, interesting. Well, he was hurt, too. Uh, and missed some time. But Jacoby Prosette uh, threw for that. How about this one? Tannehill. Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Now, he almost led the league in rushing, so he, he gets the benefit of the doubt as far as that's concerned, but we all know how that's lined up. Matthew Stafford in, in uh, eight games last year threw for 2,500 yards. So if he played 16, that's 5,000 yards. So your boy Stafford, you don't give him enough credit. Bam! You don't, you don't give him enough. You, don't, you do not give him enough credit. Joe Flacco, your boy Mason Rudolph, Ugh. playing fill-in while your quarterback, you know. Uh, Case Keenum threw for 1,700. And, and Dwayne Haskins, 1,300 yards when he wasn't taking selfies with fans. Where are you at, Buckeye fans? Defend it. Defend it. Oh, Defend it. Dwayne Haskins, my ass. He was young, Ooh. man. No, no. You know how many? Where was Daniel Jones? Daniel Jones wasn't out taking pictures with the fans. That's not as cool they, as Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, you see, Dwayne Haskins <laughs> played for a college coach who just told him how good he was and ended up teaching the importance of Dwayne paying attention Haskins to the game. Dwayne Haskins is a man of the people. I'm just joking. <laughs> I like Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne's going to have a good year. Dwayne's going to have a good year. Oh, man. So, in 2018, Cam threw for 24 touchdown passes. This upcoming season, over or under 22 TD passes. Over or under 22. Uh, um, let's see. Baker Mayfield. We said 20. I mean, he's projected to throw 20. And he's projected to throw 20. He has weapons. Um, last year, again, for me to go under, I would have to put him in that category. Look, uh, Gardner Minshew threw 21 touchdowns. Lamar Jackson um, threw 36. Josh Allen threw 20. Daniel Jones threw 24. I think he's going to be over, but slightly over. I think he'll finish with 22 touchdown passes in that ballpark right there, but slightly over 20. Since I hate to do the push, I'm going to go over, but slightly over. I'm only going to go over by like one. 23 touchdown passes for Cam for this upcoming season. So, okay, last one. His last full season as a starter, 2018, like we talked about before, 
His record was six and eight. He only started 14 games where he was uh, six and eight. So over or under 10 and a half wins for Cam Newton as a starter for the Pats. I'm going to say under. I think they're going to get right around nine. Uh, I mean, you look at, I mentioned their schedule just a little bit ago. Man, what if Tua in Miami gets that week one win? I mean, they they threw, yeah, they're they're at home. Miami, Tua Tagovailoa. How about that? Tua Tagovailoa. And that's mean, by the way. The NFL schedulers. You take a rookie quarterback. He's not starting week one, oh, man. He's, oh, he's definitely starting week Are one. Are we betting so, that? Yes, I'll bet you $50. Oh, I'll take that bet. $50 that Tua Tagovailoa is starting in week one. I'll take that bet. That's a bet. Now, Air shake. No, air shake. Hold on. Time out, time out, time out. <laughs> if he gets injured during preseason, that does not, not count. Not my fault, dog. If he is healthy, he is starting week one. I bet you $50. So I got to give you caveats. No, it's called common sense. You can't I gotta, say, I knew he wasn't going to start. Oh, really? You knew that he was going to break his ankle in week two of preseason? Not my problem, man. He's not it starting. It is your problem now because I'm telling you, I'm not giving you $50 unless he is sitting on the sideline healthy. So I had to give you that. I had to give you that for that. Deal or no deal. Take <laughs> I take that. I take that. Fifty dollars. Fifty bucks. All right, air shake. Air shake. We are air shaking. Air shake. Air shake. Fitzpatrick's gonna so, be the starter for week one. No, he's not unless you know, and that and that means two is hurt. So folks, here's the deal. Two is starting in week one if he's healthy. Two is first start as a NFL quarterback, not in the preseason, the regular season. He will debut in Foxborough. Uh and yeah, that's going to be – he's going to be thrown to the wolves. Um, I think New England gets that win against Miami. It's going to be tough, though, at Seattle. Okay, at Seattle. They get the win against – I think they'll start 2-1. and one. They'll beat Miami. They'll beat the Raiders. They'll lose to Seattle. They'll lose to Kansas City, and they'll beat Denver. They'll be 3-2 and two to start the season. All right, they're going to lose to San Francisco. They'll be 3-3. Three and three. They'll lose to Buffalo, be three and four. They'll beat the Jets to be four and four. They'll lose to Baltimore, four and five. They'll lose to Houston to be four and six. Beat Arizona to be five and six. Uh, then it gets interesting. What do you, do you think they beat the Chargers? Yes. I have them at five and six right now, right? Yes. Is that what I said? I'm, lo- I'm getting all, yeah. I, I think they, they beat the Chargers because they're starting a rookie quarterback. They beat the Chargers, so they're six and six at this point. Mm hmm. All right, and then you look at the Rams. They lose to the Rams, six and seven. Man, three in a row on the road, huh? That's tough. Six and seven. They beat Miami at Miami again. All right, now two will probably hurt by this point, so he won't be starting this one. I bet you two dollars if this happens. So now they're seven. What? What the hell? I'm I'm all lost now. What, what, what did I have him at against the Rams? Seven and seven. No, uh, uh, shoot, I forgot that fast because well, seven, seven, it went back to back Los Angeles. So and se- got uh, seven and six, then seven and six. They beat Miami eight and six. They lose to Buffalo uh, eight and seven, and then they beat so nine wins. Yeah, see, I guessed right. Look at that, baby, nine wins right there. I'm going with the under as well, but they're going to win ten games, and they are still going to be. AFC East champs. Why is this playing? Why does my computer do this? Stop playing. There we Mute go. Button. All right, let's predict the preseason. No, I'm just <laughs> and that was Kevin Nash brings you over under. Indeed, 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 indeed. Cam Newton to the New England Patriots. It doesn't make sense. I mean, I love it from a from a content standpoint. Uh, I just wish if they were going to do this, why not pull the trigger on it months ago? But I think the Patriots put feelers out. I think that they wanted to, I think they were interested to see if they could even pull the trigger on getting a Cam Newton. And I think when they found out he was willing to go there, I think, I honestly don't know how aggressive they were in trying to get Cam. You know, like, they went in low to do due diligence. Let's talk to him. Let's give him an offer. And he bit. 
And he bit. It was an incentive-laden deal. Like, that's the thing. Like, I think the Patriots, I, I, I'm i not saying that they weren't expecting him to say yes, but this just doesn't make sense. Because if you really wanted him, he would have been on your team a while back. Now, there's other question marks. Did he work out for him in person, like you asked earlier? Right. Um, what is it about Cam Newton now in late June that motivated you to sign him that you weren't motivated enough to sign him a month, two months ago when free agency started? So th- those are the question marks I have. Regardless, I think it's interesting. But if you're the Patriots, bringing him in with the same guys you had last year uh, it's not doing him favors it's not doing you favors it's counterproductive as far as that's concerned you might as well have stuck with Stidham to see if you have what you have in him let's see if you have something with Stidham Um, but they went this route but we now know the Patriots not just talked to him they offered him he accepted the offer there's an AFC North team that also talked to Cam Newton and it's not the team that you're thinking about we'll discuss when we come back Back to the famous WING studios. Here's Justin Kinner and Kev Nash. July 4th, the basketball tournament officially tips off. And the Red Scare, the Dayton Flyers alumni team, and Carmen's crew, the Buckeyes alumni team, both with double round buys. They do not play until July 8th. Both teams play on the same day. And the best part of it is, uh, is that, well, Carmen's crew and the Red Scare, if both teams win that day, which they are the higher seed and expected to, they will match up on the 10th. That's a Friday, two days later. Uh, that's going to be a good time. I hate that there's going to be no fans in attendance for this because um, this was this is Aaron Kraft's last year, and uh, UD fans really enjoyed that that image of Aaron Kraft laying down on the court with his hands behind his head, staring up with a blank stare up at the ceiling as he just came to the realization that his career came to an end. Due to the Dayton Flyers. It's over. And uh, my favorite part about this tournament is those nostalgia opportunities, the storylines that write themselves. Like, by the way, it's there's no, it's not a coincidence that whoever creates the TBT uh, bracket had those two teams. You know, you don't want to make it too obvious, so you don't, bam, put them right together right <laughs> off the bat. You know, you got to make Week it look one. like, oh, look who played and do a matchup right here, the Red Scare and Carmen's crew. But the nostalgia of it is the fact that you get to see that rematch. That, like, that Aaron Kraft, you know, his career came to an end at the hands of the Dayton Flyers. Then years later, a good chunk of the Red Scare roster last year was on that roster that knocked out Aaron Kraft. So it was kind of a rematch. And uh, that was cool. Aaron Kraft, this will most likely be his last season. And uh, so there's a chance he's going to go up against the Red Scare. Uh, but it would have just been cooler for UD fans to be in attendance. And the fact that the, the championships are going to be held at UD Arena this year, so much has changed and been impacted by COVID. But um, regardless, this is uh, – we and you were talking during the break. Like, I'm watching them go through these, like, metal detectors. They're – you know, they have the masks on. They're being – you know, their temperature's checked. They're getting tested. Once they enter the hotel, they're not allowed to leave the hotel. They're not allowed to leave the bubble. These guys aren't getting paid anything to do this, and they are going through every. I mean, they are going through so much just to be able to play for one day. It's a one and done tournament, Kev. That's it. You are going through all of this in a ten day period to potentially win a million dollars. The competition for this is going to be through the roof. And you made a good point. It's they're going through a lot more than usual than what this thing normally entails. Yeah, uh, the regular TBT is almost like a month long situation where you come into town qualifying games yeah, yeah you you play on a friday and a sunday then you leave you go home and then you come back again you play two more games it's almost really ncaa style of basketball but this situation this year there it's a 10 days 
So competition is going to be at an all-time high because it's obviously million dollars on the line. It's winner take all. Then, hey, man, these dudes are going to be away from their families potentially for up to 10 days. You know, they got a quarantine in a hotel room for 24 hours. I mean, you may think that's easy, but, like, you know, if especially since places have been back open, you've been able to go out a little bit, be away from your family, be away from your kids, be away from living in a hotel. It's not like living in a house, you know, a hotel room. Is exactly that a room? It's a bed and a TV. What's wrong with that? <laughs> By yourself. Big Ben can't wait to be quarantined. Oh. <laughs> what? What I say? What I say? Hope you got your Xbox, your PlayStation, your Netflix <laughs> account because that's a long twenty-four hour quarantine before you can even do any type of practicing, anything. So yeah, so I can't wait for TBT to tip off. I'm definitely gonna be watching on the fourth. I'm locked in going to be a good time I, I, I tell you that much but wish fans could be in attendance but man they're doing a good job uh, as, as far as that's concerned setting that up alright um, interesting thing here so we talked a lot about Cam Newton going to the New England Patriots reports Adam Schefter um, reported that look they're outside of the New England Patriots I think the one you know you asked earlier you know Cam Newton did accept the job but he, he was accepting a job late in June there, acti- there, there wasn't a whole lot of activity right and Adam Schefter said the only real conversation that Cam Newton had with any team was the New England Patriots as far as a negotiation, as far as working out a deal, talks. Then there was feelers put out. There's only one other team that the that Cam Newton spoke to, AFC North team, the Cleveland Browns. Really? The Cleveland Browns were the only other team that were in the hunt to get Cam Newton and it's it, it, it's breaking my heart. It's hurting my feelings. I'm all about Baker Mayfield. And here they are. Not only do you have Baker Mayfield, then you go inside. And, I, and I've told you my theory about the three-year backup quarterback plan. Right. No one in their right mind signs a backup quarterback job for three years. Case Keenum signed up uh, to be a Cleveland Brown for the next three years, knowing that Baker Mayfield's the starter. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. To me... There is talks behind the scenes that this organization is not sold on Baker Mayfield. Um, not, And I'm not defending Baker because I don't think that they should be sold. There was so much chaos last year. Um, but at the same time, the Browns, there's just way too many moving parts here. There's way too many conversations behind closed doors with other quarterbacks that just scream, we don't trust who we have right now. You signed a backup quarterback to an $18 million three-year deal. Case Keenum, who the head coach, Stefanski, won a ton of games with when he was in Minnesota. Okay, um, That right there, I brought that up months ago, that I felt that, hey, that to me is the first sign that the Cleveland Browns organization is not sold on Baker Mayfield because they signed Case Keenum to a three-year, $18 million deal. All right, The second thing that has caught my attention about the Cleveland Browns not being sold on Baker Mayfield is the fact that they inquired about Cam Newton. Now, you could sit there and say, well, I think it's it's smart of every team to inquire about Cam Newton. Um, you know, but but, but uh, Kev, we're talking about a team that they know who their starter is in 2020. Right. You know who your backup is in 2020. Why are you kicking? And you're a team that already has a bunch of diva players on it to begin with. Why would you even want to bring in a diva backup? Case Keenum is the perfect backup because he's not a diva. He's not going to be a distraction. Um, and, and I just think that out of all the guys that the Cleveland Browns could have been talking to, that he was the last one 
that even needed to be in the conversation. Were the, am I overreacting? Should is it wrong of the Browns to have at least spoke to him? Because you can make that argument that you you got to at least do your due diligence and talk to him. Because what if Baker doesn't work out this year? Maybe you are going to need a franchise quarterback. You're not going to be bad enough to be to fall high enough in the draft to to draft a quarterback again. You're going to want a veteran quarterback. Maybe that's Case Keenum, but I'll still take Cam Newton over Case Keenum, but not after you just signed him to an $18 million three-year deal. What's If you peel this back, what's there? What's there, Kev? Man, I just think it's a bad look. I think it's a bad look. Uh, I know what they'll say in front offices and in locker rooms, like we're doing our d- due diligence, and if our current quarterback, Baker Mayfield, can't handle us talking to another quarterback and even getting it, getting all upset about it, then he's not the quarterback for us. That's what they're going to say. Yeah, you know what? I mean, let me try that. I'm going to go talk to some good-looking girls, <laughs> and I'm going to be all buddy-buddy with them, and then when Nora gets mad, I'm going to say, you know what? If you don't trust me to talk to these good-looking girls, then maybe you're just not the one for me. Then we'll be like, no, 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 come back. I was just joking. Of course you're the one for Yeah, Get back here. Here's a beer. Uh, don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. That's that, that's baloney. I agree with you. That's exactly what they're going to say and, and all that stuff. And if Baker throws a tantrum about it, then they'll just turn it around and say, oh, that's Baker being Baker, and that's why we want to move on. Baker should not have been pissed about the Case Keenum deal, although no. I did point out bullet points as to why I think it's shady. No one signs a backup quarterback for more than two seasons, and yet he signed for three. We went, And I went down. There is no backup quarterback in the league that has signed on for more than two years. There is no quarterback that has signed up in the league to be the backup past the first year without a you know an option for the second. It's all it's not even two year deals. They're one year guaranteed with an option for the second year. In case Keenum signs a three year, to me that screams I'm not confident in Baker this year, and I'm looking at Case Keenum for the next two years. If you're Stefanski and company, that's where I was worried with that. But then you add in the fact that they talked to Cam Newton as well. Yeah. That screams to me that this camp is basically saying we put everything we could into this offense for Baker Mayfield to either succeed or fail, and there is no in-between. It's not like last year with Tom Brady where we're scratching our heads saying, you know, Kev, is he getting older or is the roster bad? Those are two fair questions, and Mm -hmm. they're both logical questions, and you can make strong arguments for both sides to the point to where no one wins the argument because you just don't know. This year, Kevin... He has two tight ends, two running backs, two wide receivers, an offensive line, defense. There is not one single excuse. If you don't win 11, 10 or more games, you failed. If you don't make the playoffs, you failed. It's a make-or-break year for Baker Mayfield, so I still feel like that's one of those things where they're saying, hey, we're giving you every tool you need to succeed, and if by the end of this year you can't prove to us that you can do it, we're moving on. I think it's a one. I think it's a make or break year for Baker because the Browns are showing too many signs of you're not our guy. As crazy as that sounds to me, because he is the guy to me, but obviously he's not the guy to them because there's just too many signs pointing towards the Browns are not content with who's under center at quarterback. I don't get it though. I want to hear from a Browns fan that doesn't think Baker Mayfield is it because I think he is. Yes, last year was rocky, but. There's a lot of things that went along with that. You're going to talk about how bad the play calling was and bad leadership from the head coach. I'm going to talk about drop passes from wide receivers and stuff like that. More to the story is it wasn't all on him. I think Baker Mayfield is a good quarterback, and I'm a Steelers fan. So that goes to tell you something right there. I think he is the guy. I think the Browns will make the playoffs this year. I think the Browns have a future star at quarterback, them talking to Cam Newton, for me, is just unnecessary. 
they already had their backup quarterback situation in Case Keenum and, and and a safety backup plan with Case Keenum because, like you said, he's there for three years. So why not just go ahead and leave it as is? If you go into this season not thinking Baker Mayfield is going to be any better than he was last year, let the let the let it roll. Oh, yeah. You have Case Keenum to come in there and execute the same offense that he did in Minnesota. You'll be fine. And if you need to move on, move on. But I just don't see it that way. I just don't see a reason why they would move on after three years of Baker Mayfield. I mean, he yes, last year was bad, but we've seen other quarterbacks get extended so much time. I mean, you look at Mitch Trubisky and the amount of time he had with the Bears versus time Baker Mayfield's with the Browns. But he, he's night here and day. The, but the, the Bears may – oh, I, I well, the Bears made this change after year three. Right. They went out and got Nick Foles. Right, right. So this is – but – they gave like last year. People wanted change, and they said, "No, we got to give Trubisky that." Third but, but, year. The do Browns you, are doing do it you too. Think, do you think Baker was horrible? No, I don't God, think no. he was horrible. No, no, I think no, it was no, bad. No. I think there's a difference between being bad and horrible. Like I'll Trubisky take, I'll was take horrible. Baker bad. Yes, thank you. I'll take Baker bad over Trubisky bad because Baker bad. A lot of times he had that offense moving. And then a bad decision would come to a halt. Right. Like, I'll take Jameis Winston bad before I take Mitch Trubisky good. Like, Jameis Winston at his, on a bad game, a lot of times is still setting his team up for success before Trubisky on a good game. Like, you know, Jameis Winston on a bad game is better than Trubisky on a good. I'm not saying a terrible game. I'm just saying in games. <laughs> are, like, in Baker's bad games last year, we're still better than Trubisky at his best because Trubisky, the expectations for him are just manage the game. Yeah. Baker Mayfield is not a game manager. Jameis Winston is not a game manager. Right. Um, that, that's the difference. So anytime you have that, when you're looked at as that, you have that type of respect, you're in good shape. But the Browns, I think the one thing is, is he's a John Dorsey guy. Mm-hmm. I think if this front office was in staff, if they were the staff that was doing the draft in 2018 or whatever it was, Baker probably would not have been the number one overall pick. They would have gone the safer route with Sam Darnold. And I'll still take Baker over Sam Darnold. Everyone's like, oh, Sam Darnold? No, no, no. Baker's numbers were better than Sam Darnold's last year, and, ba- and Baker had a bad year. So I don't get what people. I, I think Baker. That's a good point. That's a good point. I didn't even think of that. The whole front office change. I didn't even think of that. That's now, a good point. the GM for the Browns right now was he had a different role, right? And he was a part of the front office that made the decision to bring Baker to Cleveland. But you know, it's not you know Andrew Barry didn't. He wasn't the end all be all as far as the decision maker goes. Um, you know, so it doesn't mean I'm sure he liked Baker. But um, he might have had his eyes on a Sam Darnold. Remember, that was a that was a rich quarterback class. Uh, I'm going to throw out names that it's easy to look at and say, oh, you know, who cares? But you know, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, one of those two is pretty good still. Josh Rosen has just been kind of <laughs> drugged through the ringer a little bit. Uh, you know, you had Sam Darnold, all right. You had Baker Mayfield. I mean, that was the Lamar Jackson class on top of it, and he's been the most successful of them all. And he was picked later, so. It's going to be interesting as far as that's concerned. Justin Kenner, Kev Nash with you here. Let's go to the phones, 457-9464. we got Ron. Ron, what's up, man? Hey, man. Um, I'm not going to stick up for Mayfield, but he's kind of in the same situation Winston was. Yeah, I think they're very similar. I always said that, you know. three different coaches, three different offenses he had to learn. Mayfield had three different coaches, three different offenses, and you really can't put all the blame on that, but he had 20 interceptions last year also. 
No, I mean, I'm not defending the, the interceptions, um, but, you know, look, Baker had a lot of issues, but he did improve. that The interceptions, like, he only had, I think, four over the last six games. He threw four interceptions over the last six games. Like, his, his interception total, like, dropped tremendously as the season went on. He improved in the back half of the season. However, those teams were weaker. All right, remember we hit the Browns had like the the easiest schedule remaining for the second half of the season last year, um, so that that could have something to do with the two. If I'm going to be partial to both sides, but uh, I'm not defending Baker's season last year, saying he had a good year, but he definitely did not have a bad year, Kev. He did not have a terrible year. It was not a good year, but it wasn't terrible either. It wasn't bad enough to where the Browns could justify saying, "Oh, we now know what we have," because you had Freddie Kitchens, uh, you had an, a bad offensive line. He went from being there was 25 other quarterbacks that were sacked more times than he was um, his first year, and there was only six quarterbacks sacked more times than he was last year. That's how much he got sacked last year compared to the first year. There was a lot of issues. Yeah, and, you know, with Cam not going there, you think he knew that, hey, I'm going to have to back up Keenum because they're paying him all that money. I can go Stenum is unproven, that should be a gimme there. Yeah, Cam Newton didn't want to do what Jameis Winston did. Jameis Winston, he put himself in that. A lot of people today were, were ripping the league, saying it's a bad look that Jameis Winston and Cam Newton are, you know, a comb- you combine their contracts and it's less than what, uh, who's that career journeyman backup quarterback, Kev? Chase. Chase, uh, Chase Daniels. Daniel. Like Chase Daniels in this year will make more than Cam Newton and, and Jameis Winston combined. But, James James Winston even said, "I had more, higher offers elsewhere. I chose to go for less money to you know the the Saints because he wanted to learn um, from Peyton and from Drew Brees. So that that's a different scenario as far as that's concerned. And Cam Newton, I think he wanted a starting job, and but right now there is no starting job. So he finally broke and went to the Patriots for the backup. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I think that's kind of like saying your unemployment's getting ready to run out. Season's going to start. So then you take any job. Yeah, you do, you take the best job you could find at that point, and it's not the most right. ideal one. Yeah, you, you take something that, hey, I'm back in the league at least. I got my, I'm back to work, and then I can go from here. And the know? team may not be the team may not be that strong, but Cam Newton's probably a guy that's like you know. It's not the most ideal fit for me, but I trust Bill Belichick. If there's a coach that I'm going to go spend a year with, he's who I would like to go to and maybe learn a thing or two. Who knows? Yeah, and, you know, i got a little time on my hands, so I'm watching some TV. And according to the analyst, um, New England had the lowest-rated separation for receivers last year out of the whole thing, and Tom Brady still made it work. Now, can Newton do that? You know? I, and that's Cam's really good when healthy. Cam's really good. I just don't think this Patriots team's really good. A really, really good Cam Newton is a ten to eleven win Patriots team because he's going to elevate guys if he's healthy and and that good. But I don't think Cam's good enough to elevate that team to a Super Bowl right now. I just don't. Right, and they also said you know he's he's healthy. He's, he passed the physical, but they they made a comment. Josh McDaniels being offensive coordinator when Tebow came in Denver. They changed the offense because they knew Tebow could run. So I'm hoping they don't try to ruin Cam, maybe let him run and get hurt again. Yeah, know? the difference is, oh, no, great point, yeah, because Cam can run. Uh, he can make plays with his legs, but you don't want him to. You don't want to put him in harm's way, um, and he has a strong enough arm. The difference is, is why you changed the offense for Tebow. Tebow couldn't throw, and the only way that you can make plays with him is through his legs. Cam Newton's good enough to make plays with his legs or his arm, but you want to limit what he does with his legs, and he has a strong enough arm to make things happen. He just gets a little Jameis Winston-like and uh, Baker Mayfield-like with the ball and throws a lot of interceptions when he's not playing well. So we'll see. Yeah. 
and like you know and say that separation act was true if he's sitting back there and he sees pass rushers coming in on him he, he's he's known to just that is his instinct I'm going to take off and make a play you know and he's not he's going to get hurt I just I don't know if he'll make it you know alright well Ron I appreciate you calling man thank you alright man all right, four five seven nine four six four. Justin Kinner, Kev Nash, with you here on the Justin Kinner Show on Dayton's ESPN Radio Station fourteen ten, Wing AM. Overall, I think Cleveland will be okay. Because by the way, Baker starts winning games, Kev. We forget about all this facts, we, you know. And uh, Cam Newton's winning games in New England. We forget that the Browns even talked to him. So it is what it is. But there's just too many signals out there indicating that in my opinion and you seem to agree that the Browns just don't seem sold on Baker and maybe it's not fair to expect them to be sold on Baker um, but it is fair to point out that it looks a little weird it looks a little strange because I don't think Baker's played bad enough to warrant uh, being put in that position uh, to you know for them to want to move on from him so quickly um, but yeah that you made up a good point about uh, Trubisky though same time though they gave him three years they gave him three Not years. Not only they gave Trubisky three years, he's bad, man. He's bad. Yeah, Baker ain't that bad. Nah, uh-uh. At least, at least when Baker's in the game, you feel like, all right, we can win. And it's going to be entertaining, for goodness sakes. Like, Trubisky is like watching paint dry. Oof, already dried paint. And Waiting for it to dry more. <laughs> and he's from Cleveland, so I'm always going to root for him, but... Yikes. The fact that you had to go to Nick Foles to come save the day shows. Why don't you like Nick Foles, man? He's a he's Super Bowl a, champion, quarterback, and a, MVP. Beat the great Tom Brady. Caught a touchdown pass. He's a backup. Caught a touchdown pass in Good the Super for Bowl. Him. Good for him. And threw a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl. So, Anthony Munoz caught a touchdown pass one time. Should we go get him to be the quarterback? Hey, tight end. Uh, <laughs> who we got? Robert? Robert, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing great. You know, I was just having to listen to the show, and uh, your guy right there said he just needed to talk to a Browns fan on a couple of things y'all was talking about. Uh-huh. I thought I'd give him the, uh, the lowdown on the hit, on the uh, Brown Nation. But <laughs> when, uh, one thing I was saying, you you had mentioned a few times, I listened to you quite a bit for a few years, about uh, the, the two-year uh, contract that backup quarterback got. Uh-huh. It wasn't more of when the new coach came in, he solidified in positions. And so one of his first positions he wanted to solidify was my backup. backup quarterback. Yep. So Case Keenum had offers. He was a high commodity as a backup. So for him to want to get Case Keenum, he's going to like, I'm not going to be looking for no backups in my next two years. So it wasn't where he was more like what Baker going to do or he wasn't going to do. Well, he was looking at, well, I know I got a backup quarterback that could be here for two to three years. I'm on pay him. Well, Robert, the uh, the other point to, to counter that, too, and I and that's one point of view as far as that's from the Browns' point of view, and I agree with that completely. If you're a team that can find someone that's willing to be your backup for three years, you definitely do it. But my, my point of this was is that you usually – you don't find backups that want to be a backup in one spot for three years because they always want to reevaluate the quarterback market every year. So I thought it was more strange that Case Keenum agreed to be a backup for three years, which said to me maybe he was told something else behind closed doors. You're a backup quarterback for three years, but don't worry. I don't anticipate you being a backup for that long. Or Case Keenum understand his limitations of a starter, too. 
you know, that's pretty much down the road for him. Okay. Yeah, he can come in and start maybe and fill in and have a good year, but his longevity in the league, and he want to make money longer than three years. So he's like, look, if somebody needs me to start, yeah, I'm available. But if I'm going to get paid, then this is how I'm going to get paid. Like uh, some of the other guys have been in the league a lot of times. So I think that's why they gave him the three years because Stefanski wanted not to have this problem next year. So he said, now, if Baker, the quarterback or not, they ain't got nothing to do with a backup job. I'm set there. So I think that was more on that issue. That's a good point. Then, I think any team that had a quarterback, Case Keenum is the perfect guy to contact to come in to be your backup. And then, and then uh, my next quick point was with uh, Cam Newton was because if you look at Andrew Barry, he might be the only African-American GM. Yeah. yeah, he's going to throw him a line. Because ain't nobody else did. So I, that was more or less out of respect to me. Then, uh, well, he can come in and start. They said that quarterback. They weren't trying to, you know, I mean, some fall in your lap and fall in your lap. But they weren't trying to, you know, upset the whole cart. So you don't think there's anything that you don't think, you think the Browns front office completely sold on Baker? You don't think any of those as situations were key them or, or okay, and that's fair. I, I'm just a negative Nancy man. I always look. <laughs> I always fear. Okay, I, I always now, overlook. I always overread the room, man. I think as of now, but I'm gonna let you go. But I got one more other quick point. Yep. What the last caller said right before me, he's gonna talk about New England uh, separation rate, and he was talking about that you know tight windows. Uh, Belichick ain't going to try to fit no square in a peg. You know that old can't fit a square in a round peg? Or oh, yeah. Person? So with Cam Newton, well, when he had Brady over the last three or four years, he wasn't too mobile. So you had to have them tight passes with Brady because the defense know that he ain't going to hold the ball but, what, one, two seconds. So quite naturally, they ain't going to have no separation because they're going to crowd the line like that. Because they know he ain't gonna have the ball, but he ain't got no movement. So you know, a lot of times when you look at some uh, stats or separation rate, a lot goes in. Now with Cam Newton or another quarterback, even Stidham, the young boy they got, if they gonna hold the ball longer because they're more agile, more athletic, and they can do more things. What Brady over the past years, he's never been athletic. So yeah, he had to have them quick time and passes. Because that went with his skill set. But other than that, uh, yeah, um, I think Stefanski was like, uh, what's the first thing you want to solidify? Coming in as a head coach, I need me a good backup quarterback. All right, man, good stuff. I appreciate the call, Robert. I bring up a lot of good points. Uh, so I think Robert's point of view screams that I, uh, I, always, I always go for the negative. I always look at the negative and everything. He's saying, hey, it's no big deal. Cam Newton just throwing him a line. That's fine. You know, That's fair. you know, you you have um, Case Keenum. If you have a chance as an organization to wrap up your backup quarterback for three years and not worry about it for three years, you definitely do it. And that's another that's another great point. But where I was always looking at it was from is from the point of Case Keenum. No backup quarterback out there wants to be off the market for three straight years and not reevaluate the quarterback market after each season. Case Keenum's good enough to find a starting job. I'm not saying he's good enough to be a good starter. I'm just saying we've seen worse starters get opportunities before. That's so for sure. that's that's all I mean by that as far as that's concerned. But man, tight end for the Patriots though. Uh, I mean, you're looking at Matt Matt Lacasse, whatever the hell his name is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I mean, look, and, uh, you uh, Izzo. 
Yeah, that, that's they Ryan need to address Izzo. that. Cam Newton needs a good tight end. He had a good tight end when he was in Carolina. He needs one Greg here. Wilson. Yeah, you don't have you know Hernandez. You you know you don't have Watson just uh, retired. Mm-hmm. I mean uh, again Hernandez, all that. I guess you know everything he did, but you know they they're dying at tight end. I mean, if they had Hernandez, guy, he'd be killing this guy, it. This if, guy. If they had Hernandez, he'd be killing it. You're on a roll today, man. <laughs> Justin Kennershaw. Hit, 